0: Hey, before we get started, doing another week of Summer of Lovecraft. Uh, this week covering Dagon and Dreams in the Witch House. The two Stuart Gordon movies with Brandon Lede. Great episode. Hope you enjoy it once we shut up. But we have an announcement to make and wanted to uh, start the show talking about it. We have become, like many podcasts, a podcast who is on a website called Patreon. Uh, this This show doesn't cost us a lot of money. But it does cost us money in our website and maintaining a feed to store all the shows on and movie rentals and in some very crazy cases, uh, purchases. And so we have started that to try to uh, just, you know, recoup some of the expenses uh, regarding the show. And it feels weird saying that because we've been literally spending hundreds of hours doing this uh, for a long time. Uh, But it is I was raised Catholic and it is in my nature to feel bad about uh, asking for money. Uh, you can find it at patreon.com slash we love to watch uh, and there are a few tiers there uh, with uh, a couple very goofy prizes and uh, one where uh, a tier with four slots where you can come and pick a sh- episode and guest on the show uh, we've elected to not have any official uh, content only available but we did want to try to offer some things to people that are generous enough with their their uh, with their money to uh to to patreon us to patron us if you can't afford it or uh just decide i like enjoying this for free also 100 percent acceptable and uh but if you did want to help out our show because you enjoy all the fun uh times we've had talking about such great movies as mother's day and urge um you can and leave us a review hopefully a positive one uh but that is a that is a uh uh, a way that costs you just a little bit of time No money to patronize our show And to help uh, us get out Hopefully to more people So thank you for this interruption um, it, Before a very uh, Goofy fun episode With a very goofy swampy boy uh, Thank you for listening You'll hear my voice again in three, i I'm Aaron Armstrong I'm Pete Moran
1: And I'm Brandon Leday.
0: And we love to watch
2: <laughs> We love to watch knows that It's a witch, Mm,
1: mm, mm, mm-mm-mm-mm,
2: owls, Mm, 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 mm-mm-mm-mm, she's spooky spooky, getting all the spookies out.
0: I legitimately had no idea where you were going. With that <laughs> the first time. I thought, I thought, you know, this—it's a weird, like rat movie and like fish people. Like, was there a part where someone spooky went?
3: I was my, sec-
2: my second one was going to be parodying uh elaine's dad on seinfeld going uh, singing uh master of the house and masters of the horror
0: <laughs> but i decided that was gonna be no no don't way worry get that. We'll, we'll do more masters of Horror. this is secretly gonna become a masters of horror podcast at some point it's not that hard to uh, cover it there's no not that many episodes There's 26 episodes and they finally released them as like digital bundles where i can buy them all for five bucks and i did it so anyway uh peter brandon welcome to our show yay The welcomes for Brandon, Peter, you're here all
2: the
1: time
2: (laughs) Yeah, you really really nipped that one in the bud I was about to be a real asshole about it But you corrected yourself, and so I'm not allowed to be an asshole Welcome to the show, Brandon
1: Hello, thanks for having me back
0: So uh, we'll we'll talk about Brandon uh, was one of our Guests in like our first six months of the show Um, Guested again uh, Pretty soon after that, like seven months after On Xanadu, which is a little over two years ago And then uh, You know, we We Look, we, we keep pretty strict records, <laughs> and if someone, like, bothers us, offends us, slightly annoys us, really, like, makes eye contact, which is very difficult through Skype, but we don't like it, uh, we, we put them in a penalty box, and they're not on the show anymore. And uh, Peter was writing, I love Brandon Lede in his notebooks, as he does when mm-hmm. we record with Brandon, and accidentally, like smudged with his arm the i love and then there's me looking at the notebook assuming it's the band book and we're like no more brandon leday peter knew his mistake immediately but peter's a proud man and it took him two years to be like it was uh it was an i love brandon leday not a <laughs> brandon leday's band from the show so look we 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 corrected our error we're happy to have brandon back Peter, do you have anything you want to say to
2: me? <laughs> uh, Brandon, um, I'm sorry. Uh, I promised that I was only writing sweet notes about how you have nice hair and you dress well. Um, that was just what I was writing. It's not anything weird about me liking like the shape of your feet or anything. Because that would be weird uh, if I had pages, uh, pages of that. So th- welcome to the show, Brandon, with really a non-notable feet.
1: I did find it weird that I had a, uh, a WikiFeet page, even though I'm not a famous woman. <laughs> I was wondering where that came uh, from. Uh,
2: just, like, just like Facebook one uh, opened up to high school kids in like 2005, uh, someday WikiFeet will allow... Men with beautiful feet, such as yourself, to be...
3: Aww. Someday.
0: Uh, but no, Bob. <laughs> I mean, we can all dream. We can have dreams in the feet house. Uh, but before we talk more about Brandon and his feet, which I guess now is a thing. Thanks, Peter. No, I specifically said it wasn't a thing. Yeah, but that... That's where most of our things come from, is people explicitly telling us not to do it. Uh, because This is very much a podcast for elementary school people. Uh, anyway, we're, uh, we're We Love to Watch. We're a, a movie podcast. We pick a theme and we do movies over the course of a month around that theme. And if we remember, we compare and contrast. Uh, and this is part of our big double Lovecraft month called the Summer of Lovecraft. And we're doing another Stewie Gardy mix. <laughs> um, Where we're we're doing a double feature. We're doing, uh, and this will not be the end of the Stuart Gordon movies, by the way. Of this very long month, uh, we've we've already done From Beyond, uh, and we'll be doing uh, a Reanimator later on here. Uh, but uh, actually, next week, for example. <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, but but for now we're doing his uh, Stuart Gordon's entry in um, uh, Masters of Horror, the Showtime television series that we we covered the Joe Dante episodes back when we did a Joe Dante month. But he did a adaptation of Lovecraft's story, The Dreams in the Witch House. We'll be covering that first, and then we'll be uh, ending uh, on the movie that he did in two thousand one called uh, Dagon, which is based on uh, Lovecraft's book, The Shadow over Innsmouth. Not and Dagon. Not Dagon. Uh, I was very confused the first time I read Dagon. (laughs) Like, that's a – Stuart Gordon really went off the rails in his adaptation. I'm not saying I dislike it. Uh, But we should not just say, Peter, that this is a double Stewie Gordy month. It's also a double Ezigati month (laughs) uh, because the protagonist is the same in both. Uh, his name is Ezra Godden. he's a bad actor.
1: Practically uh, we're in the same wardrobe in both films
0: <laughs> yes uh, and and apparently like I I am convinced that Stuart Gordon made him his muse for a couple movies because he kind of looks like Jeffrey Combs.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was gonna say uh, the guy he uh, he's he's no Jeffrey Combs um, he's, and no. he is he kind of looks like a weird. Jeffrey Combs, Justin thoreau combo. Oh yeah,
1: for he sure.
0: does. He's no Tony Combs, a person I made up who's a better actor. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I found him like inoffensively bad. He's not noticeable. I don't think
0: he is. I, okay, no. I think he is think offensively really bad, bad in, at the beginning of Dagon, and, and offensively
2: bad in in Dagon, uh, especially yeah. in the first like hour, let's say. Yeah, and then once he just uh, starts running around, it's a little and and stops speaking or acting. He gets he convincingly runs around. <laughs> yeah. Um. But he's—I don't think he's that bad in, in uh, *Dreams of the Witch House*. Like, he's not like uh, someone that's like like Steve back where it's like funny to make fun of how many bad performances he's given. Uh, it's just that it is weird when uh, you're like, "Oh, this director clearly sees something in this young talent," and then you're like, "Oh, this—it's just, it's just a generic white dude." <laughs> yeah, uh, he'd be in the movies. He knew. His be, name. Yeah, he begs
0: the question: <laughs> What if Justin Thoreau weren't hot? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's. Uh... It is strange. My wife uh, watched uh, Dreams in the Witch House, but didn't watch Dagon. And she was like, this guy is the worst actor I've ever seen. And I'm like, hold on. He actually gets most improved performance from Dagon to this. Like, <laughs> I'm actually watching this and going, he's pretty good at this. Like over the four years between those movies, he he like maybe took a acting class. I think yeah. he's
1: not supposed to be funny in this one. Like with the failed humor in the other one is really what like makes it stick.
0: Yeah, oh really, yeah, yeah. Really There's
2: a bad. lot of like little moments where you're like Lovecraft doing slapstick. <laughs> 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 yeah, I, I think that he's not a particularly uh, notable part of either of them because he's not like bad enough to ruin Dagon, but he's not like good enough to rise it above. And in Dreams of a Witch House, like any problems that I might have with it are not. Rested on his shoulder. So, Stuart Gordon found, like, a cog for his wheel. <laughs> I don't think he found, like, his, the next, you know, his Leo or his his De Niro or whatever.
0: Well, he basically did, like, a movie after Dreams of the Witch House, which is, like, one of his best movies. He stuck. And then he stopped making movies. So, huh. uh, I don't know. Um, maybe maybe he he was so like instead of his muse, it was like whatever the opposite of that is where he was so so uh, so A damaged muse? from working A muse. Uh, like an anti- muse. What's that in like Greek mythology? Muse? Uh,
1: <laughs> poison. Yeah sure yeah. <laughs>
0: he was this, he was this filmmaking poison and like it finally it was slow slow acting poison and by the time he was done with stuck, he was like, it got me. Ezra got it got me.
2: As like a uh, Guy Ritchie and Madonna,
0: yeah,
3: where exactly.
2: where Guy Ritchie only ba- made bad movies after he fell in love with Madonna. I feel like there's a movie. Oh, I like uh, the Man from
1: Uncle. There you go. Yeah, well, no,
2: he oh. divorced her by then. That.
1: <laughs> That's the only Guy Ritchie movie I like.
2: Man from Uncle is great. Yeah, yeah. probably I think Brandon's right. It's the only Guy Ritchie movie still worth watching.
0: That's true. Uh, anyway, speaking of Brandon lede he's here. Uh, and uh, why don't you, if you haven't listened to our Xanadu or our Fly 1958 episode? Brandon is uh, one of our favorite people. He uh, he started a podcast at about the same time as us, which was uh, – and we – I don't think we really talked much. And, and then somehow as we were both kind of promoting our podcast, started to listen to each other's uh, work and like – kind of kind of fell as a a triumvirate mutually in love with each other
1: yeah and we had a really parallel taste and interest like (laughs) timing wise even we would like recover stuff around the same time i think that's kind of cooled off a little bit (laughs) um uh i don't know if
2: stuff that pops up every so often it's true like why why all right it's not that it popped up on shutter it's not that it, po- it you know it was released by uh you know uh fucking uh criterion like why is this one random 70s vampire movie like something we both cl- gla- like latched on and brandon will have been watching it on vhs and we're watching it on streaming and you're just like we didn't even like watch it on the same platform and yet our brains needed to
1: connect it. <laughs> yeah it's really good synergy uh and yeah. I really like listening to the show um, y'all do every week because uh, it has the same like searching for positive things to say about these like genre films where like most shows are, you know, making fun of this you know, area. And that's what we try to do as well. Like we're trying to come up with things we enjoyed about these things every now and then you can't find anything, but uh, it's pretty rare.
0: <laughs> well, and I was actually, it was, it's funny you mentioned that because I was actually worried That these two movies, like, I wanted to cover them um, because they are, you know, they are big adaptations of Lovecraft works. Big Lovecraft works by, like, the iconic Lovecraft director. I had seen both of these when they first came out and remember feeling like they were meh. Like, they're okay. Like, not bad. Not great. And I – so I was worried a little bit that this episode was going to be a, like – Uh, A a mediocre fest. Uh, And I actually ended up liking both of them way more than my memory suggested. Um, They're definitely not without problems, and we'll get into it. But yeah, like, this is going to be a little bit – I thought that this was going to be a little bit of a – not doldrums, like, from from a movie standpoint, but, like, the weak link in, like, our eight-movie chain. And – i don't think it's gonna be a the case these were these were better much better than i remembered
1: this is the most fun i can remember having with the masters of horror episode like i <laughs> usually my, my experience with them mostly is like buying them individually on dvd back in like the early yeah. 2000s oh. uh, and it's like ooh, a dario argento movie i've never seen before and just being like horrified by how like mediocre all these like famous horror directors had become um so i don't know i was pleasantly <laughs> it was like nice
2: surprised to, uh, it was it was a graveyard for a lot of these guys to like go and make their most mediocre work um but i so but it is a mixed bag like at the definition of a mixed bag because like i love takashi Mike's episode I like da- Dante's first one is really good Yeah And uh, and I think Carpenter's cigarette burns Is like a really fun late entry for Carpenter Who has mostly like he fell into Complete obscurity and now seems to be Living his dream which is like touring As like a rock,
3: rock
2: god <laughs> like, like a horror Nerd rock god but a rock god Nonetheless like uh, but, but There was like a decade two decades Where Carpenter seemed to Not do anything interesting except for This weird fucking episode of masters of horror but also you'd be like oh shit uh don cascarelli's coming back or you know this guy's coming back or toby hooper's coming back and you'd be like oh this is one of the worst things i've ever seen
0: (laughs) yeah when you do look at the like director list for masters of horror it is one of the few like anthology series i think that like truly met that definition of like hey these are truly the masters of horror now you're right. The work that they produced is uh, very sometimes iffy, but it's not one of those things when it's like, uh, we've got the best sci-fi directors on this new anthology series, and there's like a guy you've heard of that they put in all the ads, like, and then nothing else is from anyone. Like, this, you're like it's Tobey Hooper, John Carpenter, Takashi Miki, like, uh, Stuart Gordon. Like, you go down the list, and almost everyone that did an episode here, you know, Joe like – like you know their names uh, even if even some if you're not a like severe horror nerd and just a passing one so and, and um, it's because and it's because Mick Garris is somebody
2: who I, I like very little of his very few of his works I actually was on Brandon's podcast uh to talk about one of them,
1: sleepwalkers right
2: yeah yeah little, little kitty cat man
1: that um, that is a great that's film probably
2: his be- that's probably his <laughs> best movie right I love it that movie so fun. it is so yeah. fun and it disturbs you in a way that like the, the actual like disturbing shit that is disturbing a way that I can think of like few movies to disturb me like the way it handles the incest stuff so lovingly is very creepy um, anyways so uh, Mick Garris is someone who's like the definition of a mixed bag guy like the first the first uh, episode of the stand it, the miniseries is like actually really cool 90s uh, miniseries like a Stephen King miniseries and then every episode after that is just like the definition of terrible drama like it's in completely inert there's no forward momentum the characters seem completely like un unconnected from the drama like it's 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 a it's not a good miniseries um and that like kind of was indicative of a lot of his his uh his work in his career but he was someone who made buddies with all of these amazing people and he was apparently a very supportive and generous friend and like uh, you know he wasn't able to bring back Masters of
0: Horror on a different network or you know whatever I think he did he brought back Fear Itself which is actually uh, Stuart Gordon's last credit it was an NBC anthology series like from McGarris and all the other um, and But it was on NBC, which immediately makes it less interesting, yeah. and it, like, produced eight episodes. And it wasn't,
2: yes, it was not true, like, what Masters of Horror was, which was these hour-long, usually pretty, like, uh, pushing the boundaries in terms of gore and
0: such. Um, yeah, I'd say, I mean, Dreams of the Witch House, spoilers, uh, there's a guy holding a dead fucking baby with blood all over <laughs> it, so I, I'd say it pushed some limits. I was yeah. shocked.
1: I, do, I don't yeah. get shocked very often, but I guess just because it felt like a... I don't know, safe version of like television that I'm used to for it to like go there for there to be like a dead child on screen really took me Well, aback. Liter-
0: Literally a rat biting at its uh, bait, like a baby, not like a two year old, like a baby's neck, blood pouring out. And then like, and I'd seen it in 2005. I remember being so excited about this. I think I got Showtime specifically for Masters of Horror like uh in one of like my last year – my last year of college uh, and I remember this was the second episode and being excited because it was a Lovecraft uh, episode um, and I – I that's the last time I watched it. I, I mostly remembered that I thought the rat face man looked dumb <laughs> and thought it was okay overall. I forgot that the fucking baby died so gruesomely. So I was re-shocked again. (laughs) I thought that since the
2: baby dies in the original work, that it wasn't going to happen in this work because they spend so much more time with the baby. In the original work, it's just some random baby from town. Yeah. Um, In this one, it's like the child of a neighbor who who he's having like a will-they-won't-they kind of relationship with. Yeah. and it he came feels, to study
0: corners but now i'm gonna be a dad <laughs> yeah as
2: soon as as soon as you think like their relationship is taking off you're like this baby is so safe and then it happens yeah. and you're like holy shit um screw fly solution has a lot of gut punch moments too like that like i i think and also uh both both john carpenter episodes oh. i can
0: remember being pretty
2: pretty awful
0: like in terms of like I mean, there's one called pro-life which i've which i've heard is like they took forever to release that one on dvd because like I, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, I Pro know Life is it's... fun. It's
2: gross. Okay. It's very fun though. It's it involves uh, it's a lot it's a lot of uh, as you can imagine from the title, a lot of really uh stilted, crunchy dialogue about the uh pro choice uh politics. Um it's very it's very like liberal, left leaning like pro pro choice, yeah. but it's um the way it talks about it is like so like David Cross Edgelord two thousand five kinda. <laughs>
0: Like, like that kind of. I mean, that's what homecoming was, right? Like, we talked a little, quite a lot about, like, like back then, it felt like it may have been like, is this about Bush? And now it's like, oh, no, we get it corner rack is bad. But yeah, so
2: I'm saying that they didn't, they weren't able to bring back the show in earnest, but Mick Garris is the central point here and he also is is uh releasing a anthology horror movie he made with David Slade, uh, ryuhe Kitamura, the guy who did One of the Dead, the Cuban guy. Um and so he's doing like he's he's like kind of tried to keep the stream alive. He also has a very fun podcast on the um the Blumhouse Network. Uh it was formerly not on it and then it got picked up by the Blumhouse Network, uh, where he interviews like horror greats. So he's like his his career now is basically like postmasters of horror, just like, I'm gonna try and find a way to hang out with my buddies.
1: I missed yeah. that uh nightmare cinema anthology at Overlook Fest earlier this year. It was a bummer. It was just very long and I couldn't fit into my schedule. Uh yeah. but it also has uh Joe Dante's festivals. first movie since um that awful bearing the x film he did so i was kind of hoping to catch that
0: but yeah oh yeah let's not talk about (laughs) it just bums me out (laughs) what if women are bad oh man oh oh what year is it 2016 yeah no let's release it yeah let's, do the
2: movie. <laughs> let's just get it out there um, um but yeah so we all seem to have a mixed history with with masters of horror um brandon have you seen one of these guys that you've been really fond of or is it mostly been just like negative or mixed
1: was the john landis family episode was that this show or was that a different anthology show
2: Yeah, season two yes. that episode ruled. that's a
1: great
0: um, one norm norm fell right norm- yeah from, yeah, Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. from Cheers. Yeah, nor from Cheers. Nor from Cheers. Yeah, no, I mean, it's great if you like watching a murderer work. <laughs> I just remember being very funny and
2: very taut in a way that, like, John Landis, like, you know, barring all the, the, the shit that he's guilty of. Um, I just remember uh, it being funny and sharp in a way that I was like, John Landis hasn't made a movie like this since fucking Innocent Blood. Like, this is awesome.
0: And Anic- I kind of remember the... Um, The Tom Holland, uh, we all scream for ice cream one being good. I don't
1: remember remember what you're talking about.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I don't remember, but I do remember there there
2: being like a one called like the Washingtonians. That's that's entire premise is like what if the founding fathers were cannibals? And you're like, it just stops there. It, it just, it stopped coming up with ideas after that. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. Like Toby Hooper's like, or sorry, uh, Mick Garris is like, here's your amount of money. Uh, what do you want to do with it? And they're like, I came up with this great idea. And Mick Garris is like, awesome, run with it. And then a week later he's like, Mick Garris is like, that was the whole idea, huh? <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm
0: disappointed. I'm disappointed that the director of Species 2, who directed that episode, um, wasn't able to do better. He wasn't able to bring it home. It stinks. Um, but yeah. Species we, two is the best movie of all time.
2: But go back. <laughs> and <the> story, so. <laughs> we did. What's this is? That was an early episode that felt very similar to the. Uh, that, that was an early episode that felt like our our, our pads were inextricably linked with uh, Brandon Linde's, uh brand, uh, so to speak, because um, his brand done um, <laughs> because like that was one of those movies where I was like, you know, I had fun there's a lot here that's like just objectively terrible, but we need to talk about this thing in like an interesting way. So what, what do you got Aaron? And Aaron gave like a rousing defense to it. And I was like, shit, didn't expect that. And then that happens on, on Brandon's wonderful podcast every so often where I'm like, I'm like, shit. Well, now I
0: got to go watch this movie. I hated a decade ago again. So uh, dreams of the witch house, the movie is about, I did read the, the story, which I had not read before. We can talk about that in a sec. Mm-hmm. Um, is about a college kid, uh, goes to Miss University. Um, Miskatonic University. Miskatonic. Uh, Miskatonic, sorry. You're good. Sorry, Peter. Listen, we're doing Peter, Lovecraft so Month. Sorry, I need I to be
2: you a, a pedant. <sighs> I know. <laughs> you, you know. You know there's going to be a X amount of our listeners that's going to be pedantic too. Uh, yes, and 50% of our hosts. Uh, Miskatonic...
0: <laughs> This was the month that you said I could pronounce stuff whatever, Peter. <laughs> you said I could pr- pronounce it whatever. Here I am. First first thing I say about the movie, you're like, that's wrong. That's so it different. It's the one word that we all agree on. Yeah, you can pronounce ni-er-la, tap any way you want. Go but. back and listen to our first episode of this month. And Peter's <laughs> like, Aaron, don't worry about it. They're not supposed to be pronounced a certain way. So just say whatever you want.
1: Once we get to the ancient chants and Dagon, this is going to get really heated, I think.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is my point. That is my point. Anything alien, you can say whatever the fuck you want. Oh, I see. I didn't realize there was other rules around it. Well, maybe. Let's go back and edit in those rules into the episode so other people listening are confused, Peter. (laughs) Uh, Anyway. Uh, So, yeah. So, Miskatonic University. (laughs) That's where he goes. Uh, And uh, he rents a house and or he rents a room in this this house this kind of uh kind of run down boarding house in arkham and he notices immediately in this room that the the angles in the corner are kind of like they're not um they're not like non-euclidean but they 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 do kind of intersect in a in a strange way the room is bizarre and the like line convergence point is very similar to what he's studying at uh Miskatonic um and eventually, because uh, I don't want to spend forever on this, but he uh, he starts having these nightmares and these dreams that a rat with a person's face and like a witch are like trying to talk to him, trying to get him to do stuff. He uh, makes friends with both a kind of an elderly gentleman downstairs who has crucifixes everywhere and is like saying he can't leave the house and chants and stuff like that. And then a single mother who he helps pay uh, rent while she goes out and look for a job and she has a young child um eventually like he gets asked to babysit uh, babysit the child wakes up in his own room and the kid's screaming when the m- mom comes home and is like what's going on he's like i don't know it's weird i've had all these dreams and i also like where were the dreams uh, sorry they're in the witch house because oh, okay. this is a witch house there's a witch living there and for example there the dream was that he was having sex with this uh his 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 neighbor and instead turns into this a witch, and then he wakes up in his room, and he uh, he also all of a sudden wakes up in Miskatonic, reading uh, the Necronomicon, and is like, "What is going on?" He puts flour everywhere, um, but still keeps keeps waking up in these strange places. Uh, and essentially, that the the kind of convergence and the lines in his room lead to this kind of like void dimension as a way to travel, and that's how he's ending up in these other places. And this witch uh, and uh, her rat uh who is named uh brown what's brown jenkins brown jenkins
1: um sounds like who, he needs a little top hat uh,
0: Does why not um, so eventually I ain't a baby so eventually <laughs> hello my baby i am a baby um but uh so eventually he um is like the the witch is more clear like i want you to sign uh in blood in the book of azazoth azazoth yeah peter how would you like me say it how would you like no peter it's okay we've already crossed that <laughs> God. uh azazoth
3: azazoth
0: okay yeah again uh, not a sorry.
2: real word so you're good
0: i i'm not even gonna try to pronounce Nyaraloth nyarlathotep yeah i was Damn. about to say the n word <laughs> but uh that's different uh uh, but yes You can do uh, Necronomicon I, though Because Evil Dead has trained you Yeah that, that did That did That was an easy one uh, Yeah ner, Nerzo How do you say it? Nyar Nayar No Nyaral Hotep No Nyarlhotep. <laughs> I
3: don't
0: think I don't think that's right Peter I'm not going to try But I just want to be clear I think you're wrong uh, But anyways uh, <laughs> What a you so, did Is bad yeah, the way you I don't did know what it right is, is, but you yeah, did bad. I just know you're wrong. <laughs> uh, but uh, so, anyways, he uh, like he signs the rat, like cuts his arm, and he gets he signs in blood, and then he becomes. Um, so the uh, he's the, he's like they want me to kill the baby. Uh, they want me to kill your baby. He ends up uh, having visions and locking himself with the room and like killing the witch he believes, and and saying like I saved the baby. And then as he looks over, like. Uh, there's old Brown Jenkins coming up and takes a bite out of the baby's neck and then the police old and Brown the Jenkins. mom finally break into the room and they just see him covered in blood with uh, a bloody dead baby and he's like I couldn't stop him and of course they put him in an asylum because not good behavior for a college student um, and, or anyone really. And uh, while he's there And uh, he's trying to tell a story And explain what happened The doctors see a uh, Brown Jenkins The rat with the human face Burst out of his uh, chest And kill him Burrow through his chest uh, And meanwhile they find All of these bones of like uh, Dead children throughout The last 300 years age differently Saying that this has been going on For a very long time And the the story is a little different Where like that has kind of been a thing that the Arkham people have been aware of where there's uh, there's been like not just these, these babies that have gone missing, but they also find all these pages of this book that's been kept up. But essentially all, all existed in the pocket dimension, the void dimension that was like right on the other side of the wall for the way his room converged. So uh, I'll, I'll say I, I – so I read the story for the first time. I didn't really like the story that much. I uh, and it's, it's one of those things I talked about very early on where it is a little bit um, – even though I've read a lot of Lovecraft, most Lovecraft at this point, it felt like one of his earlier stories where it was just a little bit impenetrable. Like I just – it's super wordy. It's not that well written and I just had a really hard time even like – fully understanding what it was saying. But then, of course, I go and I listen to the HP uh, podcast, Historical Society podcast on the episode that really like pulls out the themes and the story in a way that I just wasn't getting from reading it. Uh, And then I'm like, oh, I really like this story. This story is very interesting. Uh, And then I after all that, I rewatch this for the first time in about 15 years and I was like, I really like I like this more than I thought. I really, like I said, remember the um, the bad ish special effects on the mouse or the rat, and not much else. And uh, that is such a small part of this story. Uh, and even even most of it isn't even that bad. The only thing that's a little bit goofy is when he pops out of uh, of his stomach or chest. Uh, at the end. But otherwise, it's like, it's it's okay. And the rest of it is so weird and creepy and gory and bloody. Like, uh, yeah, this this held up way better than I remembered.
1: I think the rat's the best part of this episode.
0: I agree.
2: Okay,
1: yes, good. Hey, it's
0: a Go. classic Brandon take, and that's
2: why we had you on. <laughs> Get on. Get up there, Brandon. Get on that soapbox. <laughs> Tell us about the
1: rat boy. Okay, so this, like, Masters of Horror era of horror films it was not particularly good like i was talking earlier about how these were sold like individually on dvd and they all had that like dimension extreme look to them yeah <laughs> and you it was a
0: bad time for horror movies in general
1: oh the worst and mostly it was like dingy torture porn that's very like um sickly fluorescent lighting and um a lot of like sexy people strapped to chairs and like tormented uh an intense gore and hostile and
2: they were like we
1: can do this (laughs) for half the money it's called (laughs) turistas right exactly (laughs) um this though feels like Stuart gordon you know in his uh full moon features mode uh it feels like one of those movies that exists in that full moon space where it's like too silly for adults, but too gory for children. Like the exact,
0: I I don't think my daughter would like this one, (laughs) Yeah,
1: (laughs) but you know, maybe if your daughter was like 10 years old and saw this late night on cable while you were asleep. Yeah. Right. Like there's a sweet yeah. spot there where there's a lot of movies in that full moon wheelhouse. I think Stuart Gordon makes pictures like that, and Brian Usna who he works with a lot, and definitely Richard Band, who they both work with. Um, and even this had a uh, a Richard Band soundtrack, um, which is like a full moon touch, and, and it has like a kids movie sound to it. Um, so yeah, I was like in this like sort of safe space with all this like um, neon lighting and things I'm used to seeing in these like horror films that feel familiar and then this extreme 2000s gore would jump out like uh, the witch would get her eyes gouged out or um the baby gets his neck eaten or something and it was shocking especially because that rat character feels like the rat from like Beekman's world or something it feels like a it feels like a (laughs) kid's show character that is just like a guy like it's like giving you like a guided tour of this like horror film i don't know it's like a real weird melding of like audience sensibilities where i don't feel like it's for anyone it's a very strange object
0: no I, i think that's a good call which is why i think probably in 2005 when i had probably just discovered lovecraft um maybe a few months before that and like my my knowledge of him was like cthulhu and uh, Call of Cthulhu, Shadow over mouth those uh, reanimator, like a couple of those things, like, and I'm like, oh, cool, second app, like, cause he puts it right up, St- Stewie Gordy puts <laughs> it right up front. He's like, H.P. Lovecraft's dreams in the Witch House, like, and and I hadn't read this story; it wasn't in the the Penguin paperback I had, and I'm like, oh fuck, like, this is gonna be some weird tentacle monster shit. I'm excited, like. That they're doing an HP Lovecraft story. I'm a person who just discovered Lovecraft. And then it was, like, this weird rat face thing. <laughs> like, it just – it didn't feel very Lovecraftian um, in what I was expecting. And, again, the there were some special effects stuff on the rat that just looked – like, bad special effects or the right kind of, like, bad special effects felt um, – felt more disqualifying for me in 2005 than they do now
1: but we're Um, we're recording this like i want to say about a week or two it's hard to tell time after this happened but after the cats trailer dropped for the upcoming
0: uh musical film that's gonna hold up well i think those special effects well i think there's my guess is brandon i look we have not talked about the cats trailer i want to say this before (laughs) you say anything else about it my guess is you
1: are pumped oh yeah it was it was like a eye-opening experience but okay the thing is that like The whole Hollywood production system Is supposed to have these, like, quality checks To stop things like cats or monster (laughs) trucks Or something like that from, like, reaching the big screen. There's supposed to be people who like put a stop to these things before they get to the public.
0: And like, there's
2: supposed to be people, scared little men that are, that are stopping both the truly insane, like cats and like the slightly out there, but would probably do just fine. But who wants to take that risk kind of movies? And they didn't
0: do their job. I think monster Trucks had good special (laughs)
3: effects.
0: It was just a lot of money put into something that, uh your that that the studio should have said maybe this is dumb
1: but okay in those cases the bad special effects are terrifying to us like they're, they're not supposed to be there and not supposed to look like that and it's really uncanny but we don't actually get to see that employed for like actual horror like on purpose and yeah. i feel like the rat in this movie it is really upsetting to look at even though it is kind of yeah. poorly done and i don't know i find it very effective like
0: I actually, I actually think that when when he when he po- pops out of his stomach, uh, which was the part that I'm like, oh, it took like I kind of remember 2005 thinking, oh, it looks so dumb. It took me out of the horror. The fact that it looks like a weird fucking hologram nesting doll that pops out <laughs> makes it creepier.
1: Yeah, it's it, it, there's there's something really eerie about it.
0: Yeah,
2: I, I um, I'm both on team rat and not on team rat in the same breath because I know that's a coward's excuse. Um, because every time the rat pops up, I have a good chuckle. But I do have to, like, work my way back into the movie. And he pops up every, like, you get a rat face every, like, 15 minutes. <laughs> so it's like they're like, hey, uh, did you remember you're watching this uh, this low-budget horror movie that uh Stuart... G-? They literally did not have time to do, like, screen tests on this shit. They were just like, whatever you come up with, it says a uh, little rat's got a human face. And, uh, yeah, that's all we got. Figure it out. <laughs> and then they just had to do that. But the part where he's chewing on the baby is pretty creepy. Did that take you out of it? Uh, no, but his face is so much smaller then that it actually was creepy because, like, my mind had to... I had to squint a little bit, and then by the time I squinted, the shot cut away, and my mind, you know, really picked up the extra weight that was needed to, to make that creepy.
0: So, Brandon, uh, did you did you end up... Have you ever read this story? I
1: actually did read it um, after I saw the episode. Um, I, I liked it more than it sounded like you did the first time you read it, just because... Uh, I think the wordiness and, like, the um, sexuality of it, uh, the, there's a lot of focus on, like, beds and, like, the witch beckoning in places. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. And a lot of nuzzling. A lot of nuzzling <laughs> in that story. He, the, that, that rat wants to nuzzle with him. He says it, like, eight times.
1: I honestly appreciated the way it was written more like a tr- traditional short story than his usual thing. Um, reading the uh, Dagon and Innsmouth and a couple other pieces i didn't really enjoy the act of reading each individual piece uh it was more something you mentioned um in an earlier episode this month about how it all amounts to something interesting yeah like it he the way he writes is almost like he's trying to create these like fake historical records so that like things seem more legit and you can kind of believe that these things actually happened as if these like stories are artifacts and like found records um whereas this one feels more like a traditional fiction piece it's like very uh this doesn't feel like a um account someone had left behind like an epistolary you know record of something that had happened it feels more immersive in like a traditional fiction sense so i actually like enjoyed the act of reading this more even though it doesn't really fit into his larger uh writing style
2: yeah, I'm with, I'm with you there, because, like, this is this is a very interesting... This, this would almost be a good transition piece for someone who, like, doesn't know if they'd be into Lovecraft or not. Because uh, on some of the deeper dreams, you get a sense of the cosmic, and you get to see these alien worlds, and these strange creatures, and yada yada. But then it pops back to, you know, Normie world, whereas... um some of these stories like once it's in the realm of the weird and the cosmic like you're not really getting much room to breathe like there's not really time to pop your head up for air Uh, i feel like this would be a good transition story for someone who's like all right i like new england folklore i like witchy stories i like stories about ghosts and you know hauntings and such um Show me show me a Lovecraft story that's in that field. And he was like, OK, so he, he kind of wrote like a Poe era or a, you know, a Victorian era uh, ghost story. But he he infused his own mythos into it and his own yeah. his own approach to it in a way that makes it feel so distinctly different. Um, yeah. But I think the the adaptation of it kind of strips a lot of the cosmic horror out in a way that like is not all that convenient for us for this this particular <laughs> episode. Uh,
0: yeah, it is. You know, it's funny because now we've done a few uh, Lovecraft Stuart Gordon adaptations, and um. I'm familiar with the other two enough that there's a a part of me that makes me wonder, um, does Stuart Gordon like love Lovecraft so much, but also understands, like, hey, this is my directing style. My directing style doesn't quite match his, so I'm going to take the bones uh, of his stories, and also he's notoriously uh, difficult to adapt, as we've been talking about all month. Uh, I'm going to take these moments from the story and then put them into my kind of like 80s, crazy, gory, sexual horror movie vibe. That's one option. But also, after I watched both these back-to-back, which I both very much enjoyed, my second option was, like, does Stuart Gordon not get Lovecraft? Like, because all of his adaptations are really, like, uh, yeah, I think this guy's actually bad, but he keeps having these germs of ideas, and I don't have to pay for the rights.
3: (laughs) Like, (laughs) I
1: I don't know. There's, like, a weird, um, you know, meeting of different sensibilities in this one where they don't... Like, I don't feel like Stuart Gordon overpowers that, like, uh, you know, New England folk horror vibe. Like, there are parts of this that could easily be remade into, like, an A24, like, The Witch or Hereditary-type movie. Um, But then there's, like, all these...
0: uh, I'd love to see that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I would
1: love to see that, too. Go on. But then there's all these scenes where... I don't know. There's like up close shots of like manic faces or like, uh, you know, purple lighting represents evil in this like very traditional Stuart Gordon way. And then the rat face got the character just like really does not fit into anything that's familiar to me at all. So that feels like this entirely new sensibility. Um, so I don't know. It feels like this like crazy grab bag of different things where I don't feel like Gordon really overpowered the material the way he does sometimes. Where like yeah. from beyond a reanimator feels very, pure to him um, where he's like yeah. really making lovecraft bend to his will here it's like more this like i don't know like i said like grab bag of like different types of movies um where it, i genu- genuinely didn't know what the next shot or what the next scene was going to look like and i found that really exciting
2: i think that's yeah a great take on this and masters yeah. of horror in general is that it leans into um both classic sort of horror tell horror storytelling tropes like these a lot of the adaptations are just like you know classic like uh a guy is chasing me with a knife or um some crazy cultist found me or i i get embroiled in a weird mystery and like a lot of classic horror movie setups and but the places they go are either very traditional at first and then they transition to tr- like True sublime '80s trash because a lot of these directors are like '80s directors, but they're shooting on these like awful digital cameras from the early 2000s, mid 2000s. Which Um, actually,
0: Peter, I don't know if you agreed with me. So they find they remastered them for HD, like in the last few months. And those are the copies I got. I was impressed at how much better Dreams in the Witch House looked. Than any other of my memories of these movies. Um, yeah, I think very few of them look good. Uh, imprint
2: by Takashi Miike was one that still that looked good on um, on d- DVD, but that was uh, also Takashi Miike was someone who's just like knew how to use a digital camera. Like the guy shot yeah. shit on like handheld d- Sony DTV cameras until someone like ripped it out of his hand. Um, <laughs> and but yeah, you're right. I think the the digital upscaling of these like really does help make them appear crisper and seem less cheap and the frame rate seems more natural to film. But yeah, I think Brandon's onto something with like it, it kind of ventures into both it has a foot in the classic and a foot in the trash. And and I think that yeah. makes them more fun um, well, than than you know you would assume from these like low budget, let's you know, knock it out, get out the door kinda
0: adaptations. Well I think stories. some of it too yeah, and I think some of it, too, is just because, like, they're low stakes, right? Like, they, they're they an episode in a low-budget Showtime horror anthology series. Like, so I think it allows directors to try stuff that they're interested in. Look, I was being a little bit facetious when I said maybe Stuart Gordon actually doesn't like Lovecraft or get him. <laughs> like, he clearly does. Like, it is a good question, does... though, because he challenges Lovecraft a lot. Yeah, and his kind of overriding motto is we got to get a woman in the movie. We got to get her naked.
1: <laughs> I guess oh, I gasped at the nudity. I that was just as unexpected to me as the baby killing <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> I I don't know. Well, it felt very those, safe. Those are equal
0: levels of taboo for you?
1: <laughs> no, it was just like really unexpected. I don't I don't know it's just been so long since I watched one of these. I forgot they were like hard R, you know, late night yeah. cable.
0: They're on Showtime. Right. <laughs> the Sopranos. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, it, uh, it is a little bit like, hey, we're, we're, we're going to have a small budget and we can do whatever we want. So I think you do have these directors try these interesting things. Um, like, say what you will about most of the episodes that I've seen. Like, I do think they're trying something that they know that appeals to them like they, they have an interest in and that they know they would probably never get any sort of like feature length budget to do. So you have, you do have like uh Joe Dante's homecoming is like a great example of this, like bat over the head. What if the zombies came back from the Iraq war and voted against the George W. Bush? Like that is homecoming. That's not something that you release to theaters. Like, but but yeah you can make a pretty compelling 55 minute episode of television about it that that like in some ways is more exciting to see and so I, I did I do think that just gave them a lot of freedom, and I think like this is this is a weird adaptation to try. I think in a lot of ways um, from anyone, um, they're all difficult, but this one's like okay, well we have to have the rat face person. Like that is <laughs> that is a that is a critical part to this story, and. Um, And, you know, it's not going to be beset by every movie reviewer going, I didn't like the rad face. I thought it looked stupid. Like, instead, people are just going to tune in and watch it and get to see kind of this weird thing. Uh, I do want to circle back on the actual story for for one sec. Um, It was one of those ones, like I said, that. Once the story was pulled out of the writing for me, I really appreciated it um, quite a bit. Worth noting that uh, this is the story that Lovecraft – so his uh, his publisher or whatever said it was so bad. (laughs) But he thought he could sell it, but it was like seriously terrible, terrible writing. And this is the story that Lovecraft wrote back and said, yep. Clearly, my time writing fiction is almost at an end.
1: (laughs) I wonder if people were just taken uh, as taken aback by the rat then as we are now. Like, if that was just as much of a sticking point.
0: I I do. Like I said, I do think this resembles for me like... From a clarity of narrative to me as someone who's read a ton of Lovecraft in the last six months, this reminds me of his earlier messier work that sometimes I had trouble focusing on. And I can, I know that's just me. I know people listening to this will go uh, – some people go, oh, that's not hard to focus on. Like I get the style. But like I said, I've just had trouble with it for my entire life. This this month has opened it up more for me than ever before, and I've been able to really get into a lot of the stories, uh, like "The Color of Out of Space" or "Color Out of Space," and a bunch of other ones where it just felt like I was reading something that was ke- compelling throughout. This really felt to me for a later work of his that I was like struggling to stay focused on what was going on it's a lovecraft story that takes place within his mythos
2: um the the film itself the adaptation largely cuts a lot of the mythos stuff um the black man dash azathoth was cut entirely from this uh, it's just the witch
0: and a little little brown jenkin um i didn't think that was azathoth i thought that was a uh, neurobopolis Nyarlathotep. <laughs> sure I mean we both were equally correct probably, so um <laughs> But I it cuts out a lot of the it cuts out a lot of
2: the mythos except for the Necronomicon it winks at. He he has a, a few seconds with the Necronomicon.
0: I think the actual one from Evil Dead Two. It, it is it is very funny that they were
2: like the the Necronomicon looks exactly like the one you've seen in the the big comedy horror movie from the eighties. Got it? Okay. Which uh-huh. that's
1: that kind of fits in with the Lovecraft thing where like these different objects keep reappearing. Yeah. Like even even as I struggled to read uh, a few of the longer pieces from the uh, Penguin Classics collection, like, I don't know, seeing um, something like the Miskatonic University t-shirt pop up in both of the movies we watched today it was like oh okay I, I i see how this is like all building like a world and it does have like an accumulative effect where like that that book making a cameo appearance um as if it was like a celebrity does kind of have like a uh, an exciting <laughs> Bill thing Murray to in it Zombieland. yeah exactly mm-hmm.
0: uh. so how much did you start just out of curiosity did you read a bunch of Lovecraft
1: uh, recently? Well, I read Dagon, and I read Innsmouth, and I read this. So I read all the ones okay. for for this um, adaptation group, and then I actually read a few um, speculative like riffs. Like what happened after Innsmouth, um, from the people of Innsmouth's perspective, um, and not the invading force, um, and like a couple like things like that, where people took this mythos and sort of mutated it. Interesting. Um, so I, I I I kind of over time got more into it, uh, but coming from I, usually my interest in. You know, written fiction is more from like a poetry standpoint. Like, I really like stuff that's written in like over stylized uh, text. Uh, and he definitely is not that. <laughs> like, it's, it's uh, trying to convince you that what you're reading is real. And it's written in sort of like a dry style that um, I'm not really used to. So, I, I, honestly, it was a little bit of a struggle. But once I got immersed in the world a little more, I started to appreciate it.
0: You might like some of his earlier stuff then, um, because it is a lot more like his um, his like four page stories about like the guy that had the dream and saw whole universes get destroyed and like really gets into like this culture that existed for like for like a page is um, that may be more up your alley. Yeah, maybe
1: so.
2: Yeah, I think it's it's definitely worth diving in, especially because the stories are so short. And if you're not like feeling something, like it'll be over pretty quickly. Uh, certain stories are literally like two to four pages because they were not looking for like him to fill out, you know, a section of weird. Well, tales. he knows they he were read Dagon for him to like <laughs> fill out like a column, you know, like oh yeah, Dagon is basically like I don't know. You could read it in ten minutes if you get a good grasp on the language. If you read something else in that language before. Uh, you could probably read it in less than ten minutes, but yeah, I I I think that the, what this really connects with me and the fact that it, 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 the movie only sort of hints at the Lovecraft eth- mythos, but it connects with this larger Lovecraft theme that I want to tap on for this episode, which is um, his interest in uh, theosophy, which was this study that I don't I don't fully understand, but essentially the way that you can understand it in a Lovecraft cont- context is that the truths of the universe are not. Wholly beholden to one religion. Christians don't have the the whole answer. Muslims don't have the whole answer. Yada yada. Uh, crazy old drunks sitting in an alley have have you know maybe as much of the answer as Buddhists do. And uh, doctors studying in in schools might have doctors studying it you know as their whole life like these, these strange uh, mysteries of the universe might actually have less of a grasp of it than. Um, you know, uh, someone who's lost their mind and is sitting in an asylum. Like, it, there's, there's this idea that these, then Lovecraft, that he's sort of adapting this idea of theosophy and that like all religions are touching on the truth. And so I love the idea of taking this story, which is, On its surface, especially from the adaptation, very much a traditional Christian folklore. It's about messing around with witchcraft, getting too curious for your own good, science leading you down, uh, you know, a bad path when, you know, faith in God and fear of God is really what should get you where you're supposed to go. Um, but instead Lovecraft is like, okay, this is a, you know, a witch. She has a little rat familiar. Uh, this is all pretty, pretty traditional New England folklore shit. Uh, she wants you to uh, speak with the, her friend the devil... And write in his uh, black book with blood, like that's all pretty traditional. And then, but he, but in the the original story, he takes you to a dream city in some unknown plane with three suns and alien monsters and shit. Like, and that's when it starts to get interesting because you're like, maybe the Christian understanding is is a you know one one millionth of the story, but it doesn't make that one one millionth any less valid. Um, It's just that they're just missing so much of of what actually is there
0: yeah and it's also the idea that well especially for like lovecraft and his fiction that he wrote like the the truth was the mythos and the elder gods and things and deep ones and great ones and all that kind of stuff and uh you're right like this story does a good job of kind of like articulating like yeah, so the people they thought were witches weren't pagans. There were these elder gods that they were that they were worshiping, and like that is the way that your dum dum minds like interpreted like this mathematical genius, like interdimensional godlike being as like she's a witch, and um, and like Christianity is like a reflection of like. The parts that a unopened mind or a mind that ha- doesn't have the insight has like been able to grasp. So like it's not that it's not. Yeah, it's not that that um, the the religions have like a portion of the truth. It's that there is another truth that has influenced like myths and religion. Uh, but like that's where it's touched it, uh, you know, in a very like a visible way.
1: That's just wild to hear like the. You know, all religions touch on something almost true from someone who is so close-minded and, you know, racist and xenophobic. Uh, (laughs) Like, it's just such a weird uh, contradiction of... um Things I know about him from a surface level.
2: he was it's it's almost him knocking down religion, but in a way that was like strangely respectful from a modern context, where it being an atheist is like a dime a dozen, right? Like, um, if from a modern context, it almost seems like it's 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 being respectful. But in the time, like, it was probably some people are probably somewhat offended by the idea that, like, yeah, you're Christian, you probably are grasping some part of it, but
0: yeah, you don't get the whole fucking deal. Well, and the HP podcast uh, guys have a really good, like, take on this about why they kind of are interested in the story. So he attended a lecture of, like, this idea of, like, quantum physics and then wrote the story, this idea of, like, this space between the spaces and thought that was really interesting. And that's why there's a lot of, like, mathematics and, you know, non-Euclidean geometry and stuff like that in in the story. And they make the point that, like, he was constantly talking about Einstein, that he was – he was, like – even though the, I forget the person that whose seminar he attended before he wrote this, sitter yeah, and inspired him, like was discredited. Like he was the type of person he was, like their their big point is like he was like paying attention to the 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 groundbreaking scientific discoveries of their time, and then writing like horror stories around them. And their exact point is like, wh- no, who does that today? Is there like horror stories or? written around, like, string theory or, like, a lot of these other, like, uh, cutting-edge scientific ideas, like, and, you know, their point at the time was, like, there really isn't. Like, he wasn't just, um yeah, he was a terrible man in, in most ways, but he was very interested in uh, science and, like, that interest in science, like, informed what he found scary because I, it is a strange dichotomy to think about that, like, did he probably was like hearing about like that idea and fucking like shitting his pants cuz he like he wrote about stuff that terrified him like whoa, there's there's other dimensions there's all these things that's scary and then he would like siphon that into his his work so it almost makes me wonder if like his inquiring mind was like that thing where like you don't want to look but you have to know more like he like it's not it's not a shock that like so many Lovecraftian protagonists are like, I need to stop looking. I need to stop looking. It's scaring me. It's scaring me. Like that, that seems like Lovecraft that he was exploring these like scientific ideas of the day and then going, shit, that freaked me out. All right, I'm going to write a story about that. (laughs) Like, I don't know.
2: Yeah, I can agree. And the fact that it's, uh, this is actually like a pretty interesting thing with Brandon was talking about like this sort of um, grab bag thing where the story is like a, classic traditional New England folklore story about a, you know, a haunted house and an old witch used to live in the attic and I rented the room and, uh, mixed with extremely modern science for his time mixed with, uh, yeah, like his own mythos, which was emerging and he was actively giving birth to. And like, that's so, that's such an interesting blend of styles, but it doesn't feel like, um, disjointed, The way that it should... Right? Maybe it's because I just have so much ballast in the traditional stuff that I'm willing to like, anytime anything comes up that breaks that trope, I'm like, fuck yeah. Um, like people legit- having legitimate discussions of science or people talking about like alien worlds and this not just being a simple, you know, good evil devil god dichotomy. Um, just It makes the story so much more interesting, so more welcoming of it. Um, but I can see why people think this stuff is disjointed or that Lovecraft got like bored halfway through and started writing some, you know, <laughs> uh, cosmic shit in there.
0: Oh, yeah. Why don't I throw some Azathoth in there? That guy's been sitting around. And uh, oh, yeah. The the elder elder things from At the Mountains of Man. Let's throw those in there. Yeah. Uh, but no, I it, this is one of those stories where I bet if I reread it, which I'm sure I will at some point, like now that I've kind of penetrated the story he's going for through the uh, I'll probably enjoy the, the writing of it more. But it just, you know, sometimes with Lovecraft for me, it's just a wall. And the movie breaks it down because, you're right, it does strip out the Cthulhu stuff and the Azathoth stuff and all the kind of things and makes it, like, about sort of an interdimensional wish, signing a witch with a familiar trying to get a blood oath. Um, And I think – I wish I I could have seen – maybe I don't wish I could have seen a 2005 special effects version of this, but I would have liked to see the, like, version of him, like, in the void world with the bubble people and the centipedes and stuff like that would have been an interesting like representation that they don't really go through but otherwise like i i think it was probably a good choice to strip it out for this adaptation
1: i think um it could have been more it could have been fun as well to have them grounded in the real world too or like i was picturing after um the thing is over and he goes to the as- asylum like what would a crime trial of them explaining this like on the stand be like because um, i don't know like you were saying uh, there's such like a mix of like hard sci-fi and you know traditional witchcraft stuff in here like you usually, don't see mathematics come up this often in like a witchy story um so it'd be really <laughs> yeah. f- really interesting to just like hear people sort of debate what happened and the mathematics of what happened and the magic of what happened like in a you know court trial or something um where you know i would like to see the dream world version of this on the screen but i also would like to see a uh you know a logical you know <laughs> debate about um whether or not what happened was possible um as well because they get like hard evidence that they're like 300 years worth of baby skulls at the end um and the the movie (laughs) it's like stuck between those two different sensibilities in an interesting way
2: it could have been a good little start for a show like right like yeah. like and then this is like the first episode and then the next episode they bring they you know they're trying to go through the legal proceedings but they just don't have a case that'll really stick and then the next episode they get they bring in some like badass old professor from Miskatonic who's seen this shit but he mostly keeps tight lipped about it and then like yeah they like I could see I could see this being a nice like eight episode arc where they like just expand out a short story Um, I, they do expand Banded out somewhat, but it does end up in the same logical end point. You're right. Like there's there's questions asked at the end that would be kind of fun to dive into. Well,
0: it's interesting you say that because like, uh, are you familiar with how they adapted? it? There's a there's a there's a stage version of this. Yeah. Um, do you? But they uh, adapted it very interestingly. Uh, and I could see that version making a really good like 10 episode miniseries where essentially it's like um, a film noir Where, uh, where Gallman is like, he's, he's kind of like the investigator, but like an accidental investigator. And he essentially has found out that like Arkham as a whole has kind of covered up all these dead babies, like through inaction. Like... And he's, like, finding more and more about what's going on in this town because – and the idea being that, like, hey – like, the the story itself is kind of like, hey, hell, these fucking idiot Polish cops don't even look for all the dead babies. But the idea being that, like, if there was really hundreds of dead babies in this small New England town that aren't investigated and aren't solved, then, like, there's probably a um, – a bigger conspiracy going on within the town, either like supporting the witch or turning a blind eye for their own protection, and that's kind of the angle that the the stage version takes, which I think would be very interesting.
2: Yeah, I love that idea because I think I, I mean a few authors have have blended you know traditional film noir narratives with Lovecraft um, to make success because you know obviously that would be shit that. Uh, it, the, the, he never wrote his books in any of these real styles because uh, film noir is mostly associated with, you know, the 1940s and the post-war, and he didn't live to see that. But, like, uh, the idea of blending those styles just feels so natural to us because it is about this strange mystery that someone has to unfold, either, you know, for money or genuine curiosity. Um, I could see that being a great a great way to get into one of these mysteries, right? And, like, make it a little more believable than just, like, I'm just a curious sort, so I tra- traveled across the world to, you know, read up about this research magazine. You're like, how did you, how did you get money to go across the world to read <laughs> up on this research? And he's like, uh, 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 don't ask. Anyways, I was in, I was in Papua New Guinea and uh, studying the local <laughs> tribes. When <laughs> you like, uh, it, it makes more sense when he's like yeah somebody walked in my office and asked me to like you know do this job or like yeah i was i I moved to a new town to you know look for work and like that just it feels like a a good way to modernize the grounding because i think people can't believe that people would travel this much just for research
1: (laughs) yeah you need somebody who like looks for hard facts on this like ethereal thing that happened um yeah so a detective makes a lot of sense like something like angel heart or something like that
2: yeah, Angel Heart is a great, great context for that because um, yeah. the movie rules. But that's that's a great context for that because he, he's like, yeah, it's just another job. I mean, it's a weird job and the pay is better, but it's just another job.
0: Yeah, uh, we should probably get to our other movie, our feature length movie. Any final thoughts on Dreams in the Witch House?
1: Um, I wish uh, I had seen it when I was 10 years old. It would have blown my mind. <laughs> you wish you, you would have seen yeah, it? If I, uh, yeah, I, I mean, even in 2005, I was a little too old, I think, to fully appreciate this. Um, I think it's the yeah. perfect thing where like, it would grab a child's attention at an inappropriate age and then completely warp them um which a lot of my favorite horror films around that time did that and they were made by people like you know Stuart gordon and brian yisna and charles band who all kind of have their fingers in this uh this production anyway
0: yeah it's the second uh movie where children have been killed, shockingly, that we've done this, uh, this month. Kids are not safe. Uh, Brandon, at the time of this uh, recording, we have not released the episode that we're talking about. But let's just say in one of the movies, a young... A uh, child is thrown out of an airplane. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, um, that's not part of the Lovecraft story. That's just a bonus they added. But it still was very they shocking. They were like, what do I like? I like Lovecraft stories
2: and uh, throwing uh, little girls out airplanes. Uh, how can we bring these two worlds together? How about a whole third act that resolves around? Uh, anyways. Uh, yeah. I, I I watching this. I was actually more emotionally connected than I thought it was going to be. Uh, I watched this after I watched Dagon, which I had some problems with Ezra Godin's performance. Um, but I was I I was surprised by a few things that they did here. I was a little disappointed how much of the Lovecraft mythos stuff they cut out. Had you seen
0: this before? Sorry.
2: Yeah, but it was a, a decade okay. before I had, I had read the story. So um, yeah, the. The, the, the mythos was largely cut out which was somewhat disappointing for me because I could see Stuart Gordon really like playing in that territory again like he did in From Beyond but uh, as a as a story as an adaptation of this is just a classic Con and House movie I had a lot of fun with it especially as someone who just like loves occult stories in general I was able to pivot very easily um, and uh, one thing I found really notable about it and it adds to the tragedy is there's so so few, men, so few movies that are about a you know a, a an okay guy a decent guy falling in love with a okay lady that happens to be a single mom like that's such a unique thing in in film like it's always like like uh this tra a tragedy that's unfolding or like, you know, like a miserable play about a guy who gets stuck raising someone else's kid or whatever. Like instead it's like kind of sweet. He's just like, Well, I, I don't want the baby to cry and I want you to not be homeless and I like you. So uh it's it's sort of like sweet and sincere and it makes the tragedy in the final act actually really land, whereas in the original story when the child gets killed, um, it's not that it's not sad, but it's just like a random kid in town. It's it's not like somebody that he's emotionally connected with and there wasn't some sort of dreams and hopes riding on it. Instead, he's like a crazy dude who happens to end up, you know, uh, you know, being part of a, a he ends up being part of a situation where a child is is murdered, um, which is yeah. not it, which is while horrifying, not as dramatically compelling as. I failed to save this child who I have grown attached to a little bit, but I'm mostly attached to his mother. So, like, there's this whole other layer of guilt and, and complexity added um, that I think was a really smart move on Stuart Gordon's part. And it also helps get this thing down to, like, a nice, tidy 57 minutes.
0: Yeah. No, it's – uh it was – like I said, I, I I remember thinking it was okay and uh... – I really end up liking this quite a bit. Like, this is something I will absolutely rewatch at some point in my life. Uh, if I just want to, like, be like, want to see something fucked up? Yeah, you're going to see a dead baby getting eaten by a rat. <laughs>
2: <Why>? <laughs> One more note here. Uh, the character's name is Gilman. In the uh, Shadow of uh it's not mentioned in Dagon. In Shadow of Innsmouth. One of the uh, those founding families of of Innsmouth, uh that you know made a deal with the fish people. We'll get to that. Uh, is named Gilman. <laughs> so it implies that Gilman has some sort of cursed legacy or cursed bloodline <laughs> and operating and that. Maybe that's part of the reason he's so doomed.
0: Uh, yeah. Also, I will say, uh, Gilman. Yes, Uh, Not very subtle, Lovecraft Anyways, (laughs)
3: speaking
0: speaking of Gills, man um, Do you guys want to talk about Gilman and
3: Finn
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you don't know about You don't know old Spout over there (laughs) Um, Anyways, do you guys want to talk about Dagon Hell yeah Yeah, hell yeah
3: Get up early just to charm and waking souls When the sea me when the sea called me home
1: That's what I was expecting at the top. Uh, we love to watch movies that are daggone good. Something like that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's oh. a daggone good time. Peter, you wanna throw it to me for alternate taglines? Yeah, let's do that. <clears throat> uh hey
2: Aaron, do you have any uh, alternate taglines for this old uh, Dagon? This movie is this... Dagon
0: Good. God, you son of a <laughs> Literally what I was gonna say for my alternate taglines. Hey Aaron, no, do you have any taglines? No, it's tag fine. Lines? No, it's okay. You've you've corrected me specifically when you said you weren't going to. And now you've stolen The most obvious tagline of all time. So, yeah, it's it's daggone frustrating, Peter.
1: (laughs) Thanks for inviting me on the last episode of We Love to Watch. It's been a wonderful run of the show. They're all the last (laughs) episodes.
0: If anything, it's only going to get worse for guests because now, like, we've we've uh, hung out in in person like four or five days. So now we're way too comfortable. (laughs) His mom asked me to explain how I met. Him,
1: <laughs> that is adorable.
0: Uh, all right, Peter, why don't you give us a quick old
2: plot recap? Uh, God is real, and he's a horny fish. <laughs>
1: That's are you? Are you also doing? You're the plot
2: recap. I yeah. just did all. I mean
1: that devil. about sums it up.
2: Yeah, I mean it's fine. We can be done. Uh, so yeah, God D- Dagon is about Dagon. the film is oh. about a uh, a a. <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg type and his uh, extremely attractive Spanish girlfriend uh, are on a boat uh, with some friends who aren't that important. And they uh, get they get uh, literally not gonna, to anyone. Boat boat sunk. Sea rock sunk. Ra r- sunk. Scuttle shipped. They got their boat sunks um, a, off the coast of a creepy Spanish. They town. had boats like a sunk
0: sunk sunk. Sorry, I'm just singing the thong song too. Songs song song all night long. <laughs> Let me sink your boat. <laughs> Boaty! <laughs> boat, boat, boat,
2: boat, Okay. Um, so the uh, the this little crew uh, ends up in a Spanish town, this creepy little Spanish town that uh, are all fish hybrid men uh, who worship a uh a goat a, fish god called Dagon uh and they at one point in their past uh cast off traditional religion uh, specifically Christianity and started worshiping Dagon and commuting with these these deep ones uh who were these these fish people that lived under the sea and in exchange for um their their loyalty and eventually human sacrifices and eventually something else. Uh, but would also give fish the people and gold. Fish and gold. The old the old classic combo. Um, fish and gold, and uh, so it makes this an entire town of fish prostitutes because they eventually have to start sleeping with the the deep ones to get this fish and gold. Um, so the town begins to. It doesn't quite prosper. Uh, what if we just want fish? Can we just like give a handy? <laughs> I can make you ink another way. <laughs> um, but uh, they these uh, these townsfolk essentially all give into the the fish fish people's demands and start interbreeding with them for a couple generations let's say the only one that's exempt from this is a old hobo named Zadok. paul uh the 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 mark zuckerberg type uh becomes separated from his girlfriend barbara uh and they try and reunite in this this creepy rainy spanish town as they're being pursued by these fishmen um Paul tries to find a way out of town. Uh, he tries to find his way to Barbara. He is being um, uh, seduced by the local sort of uh, fish lady princess, uh, U- Usha. Usha, I forget Usha. Um, thank you, Aaron. Um, getting, she's sort of seduced by her. Essentially they're being embroiled in this strange, uh, fishy underworld of this, this gross Spanish town. And, uh, eventually they're caught or their, uh, alcoholic friend, Zadok, uh, I guess, the, oh no, Ezekiel is the name in the movie. Um, Ezekiel is, uh, murdered in a gruesome way. Uh, Paul believes that Barbara is going to be sacrificed to this Dagon fish god uh, in, in a sacrifice by Usha And so he goes To go rescue her he starts Fighting back against the fish people He's unable to save her and in the Act of self immolation he Discovers that he is a fish person And he has lineage in the town And he and Usha's
0: his sister And Usha's his and
2: sister and
0: her lover Her dad's got a great beard
2: and Just a <laughs> solid beard um, And so it's, it's one of those stories Where it's largely just an escape Uh, sort of uh, sequence, but um, it 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 does have like a lot of revelation as it goes along because the background of the story is so much weirder than just like uh uh we're a creepy town because uh I don't know we worship the devil like it's so much more complicated than that.
0: Yeah. Um. So when I so this is one of the few Lovecraft stories I got through all the way in college and liked it. Um, and then I I think I sought out the movie afterwards finding out there was an adaptation of it. Um, and the thing that still strikes me because I reread this the story again and then watched it again is the way the the story is essentially about the main character discovering that these are fish people and then the coda, or the epilogue to the story is him discovering he is also a fish person. It has one of my favorite endings of any Lovecraft story where instead of killing himself or getting killed or rejecting it or being insane, he's like, actually, Cthulhu was out of Like, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, in, I'm into it. I'm going to go swim off to the island. I'm a fish man. It's great. Um, but, uh, but the whole story is about how, like, him slowly finding out how weird they are slowly finding out they're fish people before being like struck with visual evidence he can't deny this movie's like hey that guy uh the first five minutes who got off the dock yeah got web hand they're fish people get into
1: they look like they're practically Um, shot in like black and white while the rest of the film's in color like there's something obviously different about them the second you see them
0: it is like it is in no way trying to like repeat the the mystery version of Lovecraft story, which is why, again, I joked earlier on, like, does Stuart Gordon get Lovecraft? Because the that is like, these are fish people. They have webbed hands. Like the the guy who like sails the boat has like gills on his neck. These are these are clearly fish people. Having Especially said that,
2: the second time you see the movie, you're just like, oh, these aren't just like pale creepy no. people these are fish people they've got they've got the strangest bags under their eyes like they've got gills of web but hands. like yeah we
0: have, we have i feel like the gills and the web hands are dead giveaways peter <laughs>
2: <laughs> also the fact that the movie begins with a, a literal mermaid might be more of a giveaway that's one thing that this has over the original story i will say is that it sets up the twist better that that yeah. uh, paul is a uh, a fisherman um, makes mm-hmm. a little bit more sense when you finally get to that point because they've actually foreshadowed it. Uh, whereas in the short story, you're just—it's—it's it's a great ending. It's really fun, but it's not like, oh, I see where they led you here. It was like, oh, well, I, I
1: guess. guess like
2: <laughs> three pages yeah. ago, you said he might have.
0: There's someone in Arkham. Someone's like, hey, yeah. T- didn't your uncle also go crazy and kill himself? everyone to end mouth? And he's like, uncle. Let me investigate this. I'm a fish <laughs> man. Um, yeah, and the other thing I really like about it is that even though uh, the the novel, the novel or the story took place like a lot of Lovecraft stuff in like just down the road from Arkham in New England, USA. Um, I really think the uh, this being shot in Spain it reminded me a lot of uh, Spring, in the way that like. The buildings and the setting really give this um, a little bit of an alien vibe. Like, they're obviously shooting it on, like, hotel-like sets and stuff like that that just feel different from every hotel I've ever been to.
1: They feel old. Um, Like, they feel feel, legitimately ancient. Yeah.
0: Legitimately ancient, legitimately old, and obviously from the from where they shot the movie, that's true compared to where I've been in my life. But it really adds this feeling of alienation and horror so that even though it does turn into, like Peter said, kind of just a movie long chase scene, um uh it it like it like works in a way that I didn't quite remember because like I, I would say seventy five percent of what makes this movie work is the setting.
2: I 100% agree. This is alongside I think the Overlook Hotel and uh the arctic setting for the thing, uh John Carpenter's the Thing is like my favorite horror settings of all time. Um the town is just so lived in and it's so aged in a way that like you just you just can't really fake. Some of the, I mean obviously there's sets in this movie, but like you can't fake that like feeling of just like crawling dread as you're running back these back alleys with these characters and you can't get a sense of where's left and where's right really
1: and the stuff they do build that is like not already there is specifically the cult scenes like the altars and the like uh sort of ceremonial garbs and stuff that's like the production uh design part of it and instead of like location shooting um and i think they get away with that pretty well like it's pretty easy for them to do robes and like gold um set decorations and for that to feel legitimate too because if like a cult was throwing on a um a, a ceremony that's pretty much what it would look like like a you know a local production of like a stage play almost
0: yeah and i really i mean this is kind of the lovecraft thing right like where you're not just discovering as peter said like a haunted town or a weird um, ho- like horror type, like gothic uh, enemies or zombies or something like that. Things get brighter and weirder with the cult stuff in Lovecraft stories. Um, in some ways it kind of reminds me like, I don't know if um, – if it came specifically from this, but it does remind me a little bit of like the end of hereditary where like, it is this like creepy ghost movie. And then at the end it's like all pagan, bright gold chanting, singing because this God's been risen. Like Lovecraft had a lot of stuff like that. Like you're expecting a level of horror. And then all of a sudden things get super, super weirder from like the typical horror you would expect in this sort of setting. And this, like I, re- when everything is super all of a sudden shiny, and uh, the dad is a Cthulhu monster, and they're throwing people down the well, like I really like that turn, and it it's different from everything else from a setting perspective. It starts to feel weirder and brighter and more constructed. But like Brandon, you said like that that fits well because all of a sudden you're in the underbelly. Of the society, the part that they've hidden from the world that's abandoned them, um, and it feels like alien.
1: And they kind of let the town rot around them because they're so focused on the like ritual stuff. So all the yeah. like um, ritual paraphernalia is all shiny and new and clean, while everything else is like falling apart, uh, which makes sense. Yeah. It has
2: such a wonderful aesthetic contrast, right? Like, yes, <laughs> it really it really helps uh, highlight the alienness of it because like. Um the town makes you feel creeped out in a, in a sense that you're an outsider, you're not someone that's supposed to be here, but like it's not quite alien. Um it's confusing, but it's not quite alien. It feels somewhat natural. The gold and and, and the strange crowns and the uh the geometry of it, um that that stuff feels specifically alien in a way that like this doesn't look like some shit they like they dug up out of the earth and you know from an ancient culture on Earth. This looks like something that this looks like something that had to be be conjured from somewhere deeper. Literally, yeah. And, and, and uh, while we're talking about the village, um, can we talk about the fact that the title, the name of the village, is like a play on words in Boca. <laughs> I mean, it's not quite in's mouth, but it's Boca means mouth in Spanish, and it's, it's
1: it's just cute. It's like almost clever, but not clever. Like it's like yeah. it's just sort of blatant.
0: Yeah, it um it it is. It's kind of weird that he named it Dagon. To be honest, like uh, I feel like the shadow over In's mouth is a more compelling. Uh, title, so I'm not I'm not quite sure why he besides um, just like oh I'll make it short I don't were they paying by the letters for DVD covers I'm not well <laughs> not quite sure but it, it, it it's a weird choice
1: looking at it um completely blind like the marketing kind of worked on me in a different way too where like um i I believe i watched the movie before i read the story but um looking at the cover at least i read dagon and saw the like reptilian uh monster on the cover i'm like oh that's dagon uh (laughs) so like watching the movie was kind of a surprise that you know dagon is something they can't really show on camera for very long because it's like this like cg unknowable thing um but yeah, I th- I think that makes it look more digestible. It's like a creature feature to like have Maybe. a fish person on the cover, um, looking like a demon, and have that name on it. You're like, okay, I kind of know what I'm getting into. Whereas like the actual story of the film is something completely different and probably harder to market.
0: Well, and this also, so uh, we talked about the Call of Cthulhu. Um, being kind of the quintessential Lovecraft story, I would say this is the other one, right? Shadow over Innsmouth. Like when I was uh, playing the Call of Cthulhu video game that came out last year, it's like kind of. I mean, it's an adaptation of the role-playing game from the '80s, but it basically is like mostly Innsmouth, right? It's like it's like a weird fishing town. Uh, they they got rich. There's all these legends and stories that people are telling. I really like the parts of the story where like people keep giving histories to to our protagonist. And um, like that that game is such a weird game because like it's not good and it feels like it was like up-res from a PS2 generation. but it has stayed with me because like the setting itself and that like ins mouth setting, is so creepy as you, like, walk around dilapidated buildings with people who are either, like, suddenly attacking you or, like, don't want you to be there. And the movie itself, like, and the story, just, it feels so alienating. Like, Peter, I know you've said a couple times, like, even in your favorite story, he gets a little too lost in the architecture. I would say that's an area that, like, I actually appreciated more than I remembered. Like, him just kind of describing this town that's been kind of abandoned by society and the people and like he hadn't even heard of it even though it was right down the road from arkham essentially like it it does just feel like even just thinking about and talking about it in a ineffable way that's hard for me to like you know articulate like the feeling of being in that space gives me like chills
1: it's so funny to me, too, to see, like, what details and adaptation they get stuck on because, yeah. uh, you know, in the story, the narration is so, like, detailed. So, like, there's a whole thing in this film where the protagonist has to transfer a lock from one door to another that sort of, like, <laughs> maybe saves him a minute while uh, escaping these fish people. And then you read it you know, in the story later, I'm reading it after I watched the adaptation. And it's like, why did this detail from the story make it into the movie? <laughs> and then uh, sort of the same thing in the witch house film uh, as well. There's this whole thing where he's trying to tell if he has been sleepwalking at night and he pours flour on the floor to check that. And it's another detail that like in adaptation, Stuart Gordon gets hung up on, which is really funny because in general, he's not you know, trying to translate it to a T where he's like super detail fixated. So it's just funny to see which ones actually get translated to the screen and which ones are
0: just completely abandoned. Yeah, Yeah, that lock thing is super funny. And the lock thing is funny
2: also (laughs) because in the original story, he does that to feel a sense of security as he's falling asleep before he knows he's actually being attacked. In this, they extend it into the action scene. Yeah. Where he's, like, trying to do it while the door is getting kicked down. Like, <laughs> is that buying you three seconds? Like, I don't know. Who, who couldn't kick that door in? Like, if you have actual shoes on, you can kick that door in in three seconds. I don't know what's going on here.
1: You could kind of excused it as like a panicked decision like he's just not thinking straight but also um it really just feels like a decision to translate that from the story without really thinking about how it logically fits in with the moment
2: like they needed to have him have more business to do right right similar to in uh the witch house the flower thing i think gives him more business to do where he's just like otherwise it's mostly just a dude getting haunted
0: but that like at least makes him seem like a man of action for you know a few seconds (laughs) man of science you know what else, so not to keep talking about video games, uh, but you know what else this movie reminded me of, of a video game I just played for the first time recently, Peter? I the the original Call of Cthulhu video game from like a decade ago? No, I just, we just no. You're talking about a <laughs> no, different I, Call of Cthulhu
2: video game a minute ago.
0: Yeah, no, I, I unrelated to Cthulhu uh, uh, video game, I just played, we Resident talked Needle quite Ford. a lot of it. Yep, you got
2: it. Uh, so, Resident Evil Four takes place in a rainy Spanish seaside village as well, and I cannot with these tentacle monsters, and I can't hmm. imagine they didn't take this wholesale from this movie, <laughs> specifically this movie. It does, yeah. It doesn't feel like they took it from Shadow Over Innsmouth. It feels like they took it from yeah, these like uh, throngs and mobs of these like uh, you know uh, serpentine or tentacled tentacled. Um, Mm. I don't even know if that's a verb, but whatever. Um, Monsters, these like mobs of half humanoid kind of things in this rainy Spanish town. Yeah, it feels like it's a direct lift. Um, And I got to say, like, this setting, like we've t- we've talked about, how amazing it is and how how gorgeous it is, and like the, what a good find it was. But like, I think setting this in Spain was a legitimately great way for Stuart Gordon, who tried very hard to distance himself from Lovecraft's racism. Talking about uh, not to talk about Witch House too much, but like the primary. I a secondary antagonist of it is a character called the black man is
0: and in, in the story they make it clear that's not a black guy <laughs> well like they yeah like it's actually I'm not well butting the fact that it's racist could be it's actually more racist than that because it's this like well uh he's a he's a he's the black man like an evil man not like a and then the the other n-word yeah um, yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. it's it's really like um like just to be clear, when we mean black man, we don't mean mm, like it's it's super racist. <laughs>
1: and uh, there's another racist bit in the um, ins mouth story that's not included here because we don't have to hear his inner dialogue. But there's like yeah. there's a long list of races that these fish people don't look like. Um, and in making that distinction, oh, yeah. it just gets more and more racist as the paragraph goes on uh, in a really awful well,
0: way. I- yeah, and that's weird too. Because like, what's what's so weird about Innsmouth mouth is I was like about the racial stuff. Because this is very much like again, this is about uh, interbreeding, and it's it's not like I never caught that the first time around. It just seemed like a horror story to me. But we we talked quite a lot about it. But the uh, the whatever the train conductor guy at the station, who's like giving all that history, when he's saying like people say that it's it could be the insmouth look and no one knows. He like says it could it's probably just some sort of racial prejudice. Like he, he says that, and then of course he then says even more racist stuff. I think he's the guy that lists things that they're not, but it was it was weird looking at it now, fifteen years later from when I first read it, more aware of Lovecraft's past and history and his personal beliefs. Like it, it was weird there was a character who is dismissing some of the Uh, the, the dislike of, uh, and the way that they're described as racial prejudice. Like, did you guys catch that? Am I crazy? There's a moment in Innsmouth, which was, you know, one of his last
2: stories. Um, It was actually published after his death, if I recall correctly. Um, Yeah, it was. Innsmouth, uh, yeah, there's a moment where characters like, uh, oh, uh, yeah, they, uh, some people are just, you know, racist because, you know, maybe some, some Southeast Asian people had moved into town and yada yada. That's just, maybe that's just them being racist. I don't know. And it is like, yeah, it is like uh, jaw agape where you're like maybe he was close I don't know <laughs> I, see, we've, we've talked of a, a, in a few ways how he wasn't um, specifically the end of mouth, where uh, the character embraces the fish life um, and says like I'm gonna go break my cousin out we're gonna go live below the sea it's gonna be awesome like I don't think that's a sign that he was growing I just think it's a sign that he was growing as an author um, that he was like alright We've all had the ending where he jumps out the window. The original Dagon ending, he's just like, I can't take this anymore. Going out the window. Like, we've seen that before. A guy just goes crazy and, and f- fulfills an act of self-harm. And instead, in the original story, he's like, uh, you know what? Fuck that. I'm not, I'm not going to kill myself. I'm not going to do what, you know, what people have done before when they realize this. this what terrible. his relative had done before that found out the same thing. And Arthur German did when he found out that he had some sort of simian or primate um, you know, genes in him. Like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm actually going to embrace this and run off. I don't think that's a sign that he was growing. I think that was a sign that he... Um, I don't think that was a sign that he was growing. I think he was growing as a as a writer, not as a human being. I think that that little moment in Innsmouth mouth was somewhat a sign of growth, where he's like, uh, "I don't know, maybe all this shit is just racism." Anyways, here's some more uh, weird shit about here's uh, <laughs> Asian... some more racist stuff. Yeah, here's more yeah, shit
0: about Asian Americans. <laughs> it was just having read so much. Like again, this is not a way to like absolve him or anything, but it was the first time in any Lovecraft story that I've ever read that someone acknowledges that being. Uh, people looking at people from a different like city or culture or behave differently might be racial prejudice it was it was just surprising um again not in any way an absolution because this story is still very racist it is that sentence is like bookended by horribly racist stuff horribly racist stuff it was just um, it was surprising to see but, um, uh, we talked about this a little bit in an episode that hasn't come out yet, but I would just uh, just kind of put a pin in to talk about later. Um, the the other shadow over Innsmouth that we'll be covering is uh, a level in the video game Bloodborne, which uh, in the context of the game does the opposite of saying that like uh, that it's actually the um, the the it doesn't say this specifically, but the the implication is like the white male capitalist church. Uh, people that have been like, they're the ones that have actually been the evil backwards people who have kind of caused evil to unleash. And like the, the Innsmouth people are, um, are shown as like peaceful coexisting with, with an alien God who are then slaughtered by like the church and the government and stuff like that. So that's a really good turn on the head. And then I've heard the sinking city. Uh, we talk about that, uh, really, uh, uh, the, the video game that just came out that I haven't played yet really tries to like, acknowledge about how racist uh the insmouth story could be
1: i should um also yeah, shout out the uh story i was talking about earlier that like continued the insmouth story after the fact it was on yeah um tor.com and it's the litany of earth by ruthana emmers i'm probably mispronouncing that but the whole point of the story was like the people from innsmouth were like relocated to the old japanese internment camps um after oh, they were exposed um by this you know outsider oh, wow. and uh it, it really like handles the uh, sort of like racial othering of the story in a like really thoughtful really like um sad way uh it's, a, it's a, like a, it's a hard read emotionally um in a way that like lovecraft isn't really emotional when i read it um so i don't know that was like an interesting thing and it, it just is interesting how many people are you know picking up his material and warping it in ways that would you know really um not make him happy <laughs> like his yeah. his work's being reclaimed yeah. by people in really interesting ways especially recently
0: or they're like, yeah, they're dealing with it head on, too. Like, like I, I, I don't know. Uh, I know we cut out for a second, but, like, everything I've heard about uh, the new uh, video game The Sinking City, which is, like, about Lovecraft's work, takes the mouth people saying, Yep, yeah, they're displaced and now they're treated as, like, uh, second-class citizens, like immigrants in this country. And it's using them as, like, a metaphor to talk about the, the kind of um, racism in, like, the concept of illegal aliens that existed in Lovecraft's time. Uh, and unfortunately still persists today. So I do think it's interesting how many um, – like the, there's, there's, there's a lot of great stuff that people have pulled from this idea of like elder gods and old ones and all that kind of stuff that people take. But I, I do think there's a lot of good work out there that is like dealing with his, his uh, racism and bigotry and everything else in a way that kind of shows like that his stories – uh as a as a horror story are good but his stories at um as uh some sort of like political commentary or allegories are like uh empty and dumb as shit
2: yeah i'm with with both of you there I, i think that there's been some incredible works that have really adapted this this uh author and and have pushed his work forward in a way that he just wasn't strong or smart enough to do and uh in that sense, like that's what makes him such an interesting author and why we wanted to talk about his works for two months. It's not just like the tentacle stuff. It's the fact that like people were so entranced by the strengths of his work that they were like, I want to see if I can translate the strengths and strip out all the garbage. And I think that one of, I think one of Stuart Gordon's great choices was transferring this to, to Spain. Uh, Not just because like we've talked a lot about how awesome the setting is, but, uh, but because I think it helps um, water down, so to speak, or uh, completely remove a lot of the racial subtext from the story and just make it about, um, Uh, just make it about a culture that gets infiltrated by monsters in the most literal sense. (laughs) Like, actually, both of these stories and From Beyond uh, both kind of belie an easy translation into a a metaphor. The the story, even in this, they even cut out a lot of the details about specifically Asia, and they were like, oh, yeah, he went on trips to, you know, to parts of the Pacific. You're like, alright, so... A thousand countries? I don't know. (laughs) Um, A thousand different, uh, you know, 10,000 different cultures. That's not specific enough. Yeah. And, and, and I think that moving it to Spain and setting it with uh, Caucasian people um, instead of, you know, having some sort of uh, lean into the fact that these people would be of mixed race is like a really smart way to just say like, hey, all that shit about like a pirate bringing back an Asian bride and the town being scandalized. Yeah, I don't want to contend with that. I want to talk about. Yeah, I, I want to talk about, you know, mixing between these these fish people and humans and and what it means for this culture and yada yada and we
0: talked a lot last week I know Brendan hasn't heard it yet <laughs> about, about that those approaches to adapting Lovecraft and and that st- stripping out can be as problematic as a lot of other things but um we'll, just to recognize we're running a little short on time um, if you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's episode we do go into a, a lengthy discussion on that it's a discussion very much uh, worth having um I uh, I want to talk about how fucking awesome and gross this movie is. <laughs> this, movie's <so> uh, <laughs> this movie's so gross. This uh, movie's so gross. Who's a good gross movie? <laughs> um, but, yeah, the part where he is uh, very early on where he's running and he finds the... We'll say, I don't know, like uh, the warehouse, the skin warehouse... That's when I'm like, oh, yeah, this is my this is my jam. Like, I really like all their 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 human faces and that they're like fucking peeling them off halfway through this movie. Like, I forgot. So, again, looking back at my memory from when I saw this 15 years ago, I remembered the bad CGI uh, monster Dagon at the end, which I wanted to look better, even though I, I remember, like, thinking the concept was great. And I remember the bad uh, mouth tentacles that are like these, these like cartoonish CGI. I forgot how much gross practical effects there were in this, and I loved it.
1: It's the same effect as um, the Witch House movie where like you feel like you have a handle on what you're going to see. Um, this, yeah. instead of like feeling like a kid's movie like that one does, it feels a little more like... Um, m- uh i want to say like 90s daytime syndicated television like a baywatch nights or something like that uh so i don't know you're sort of lulled into feeling safe with you knowing what to expect and then yeah a person's you know face is peeled off an intense leering practical effects gore uh and it really is shocking how detailed it is, Um, especially since there's so much cheap CGI in other places where they cut corners or literally just can't do what they want to do.
0: And again, me in 2005 thought CGI was better than practical effects. And I was disappointed that CGI wasn't better. Uh, 2005 Aaron was dumb. So I probably wasn't noticing the good, Practical effects and was was like, but I want the tentacle god to look better. And now, like fifteen years later, with a different perspective on a lot of that stuff uh, in general, and seeing this, I'm like, oh, this is like great. This uh, is like this, is like Stuart Gordon. Yeah, I I had, a, I had a similar reaction where I didn't
2: really like this movie when I saw it maybe six years ago. Um, and and I will note, uh, I do think that this movie improves, similar to the H. P. Lovecraft Society films, so Whisper in the Darkness and Call of Cthulhu. I think that this movie improves when you've read the short story. I think having a sense of uh, narrative grounding for where this is going to go actually makes like your mind be able to relax and squeeze into the you know the unfilled corners of this movie and like really like take it in um, and t- and accept it as part of the mythos, which is not usually true of adaptations. Usually, like you read the book first, and then you see the movie, and like even if you like the movie, like you kind of have to adjust expectations. Um, but uh, and also while we're there, while we're talking about the grossest scene in the movie, which is the the uh, face skinning, um, which is just like almost out of nowhere how gross it is. <laughs>
3: it's performed by a fucking.
2: It's performed by a fucking Catholic priest, um, and he uh he, Ezekiel the homeless guy, and they they really were like. Why have the Zadok Allen character in a movie, a guy who's just there to give exposition? Why not have him be an actual member of the action? Like he performs a distraction for the team, and then like he he has like a little arc where he's scared and then he needs to like come around, and then he gets the grossest death in the movie, and it's it's this old Spanish actor who is like semi-legendary, like pulling in his last role before dying. Like it's and it's such a cool performance. And I and I and while we're there like not to just keep tacking stuff on but like the the fucking the, the, the physical performances help sell the quality of the special effects in this movie for me yeah um, the fact that people will lean into the lurching grossness and the dragging their feet and you know crawling along the pavement and really like making strange noises and refusing to blink like people lean into the physical performances here which I think helps sell the special effects as more than just a piece of makeup yeah
1: and that reminded me a lot of uh some charles band movies from the 90s as well um there's this movie called the secret kingdom that was actually made for children uh and has like these horrific dog face people that have to like drag their bodies around this town (laughs) uh it's like it's pure nightmare fuel um and yeah the the people who have lost their limbs to these like tentacle mutations um dragging themselves like across the ground uh in this really pathetic way like when they overpower the the hero as it were um when they overpower him in certain situations it's never like in a very convincing like they're strong arming him way it's just that there's so many of them they're easy to fight off one by one because they just sort of flop on the ground like a fish uh like they tip over very easily it's just there's so many goddamn fish like piling on top of him that he eventually gets bested you know Uh so I don't know, they have these like gross pathetic bodies um that are really well like physically acted, uh in a way that might seem I guess a little corny, uh, but would be a horrific way to die if all these like pathetic creatures were just like crowding you.
0: Yeah, well, and even the reveal of like when he um, um, meets his uh, soon-to-be sister, as he finds out, like, and sh- and he like her dress or pants—I forget exactly what she's wearing—gets uh, gets taken off to reveal like two giant tentacle legs, like like flailing at him. At, it is so like, man, it is just so cr- like the any practical effects or like uh, even far-out uh, computer effects. I'm not. I, those felt like they were practical effects. They did a really good job with them. Um, I'm pretty sure they are, uh, but even even that still seems like man, just everything about it is like is is creepy. And like that's the thing is like the there there is a component of like fish monsters that can be grossy, and that they they do just like all feel like wet and slimy. And they do a good job of portraying wet and slimy in this movie, which not only helps the the gore effects, but it makes everything just seem a little bit grosser. And then the town's dilapidated in that way. And like the smell in this town, I cannot imagine it. <laughs> Now,
2: there's a scene in the middle where, that you guys have referenced before, but there's a scene in the middle where he gets, uh, Paul gets captured. And it's after a fight with a tentacle beast, and, and he has that, uh, triple or quadruple set of teeth similar to a shark. Um, and he's just this gross, Excuse me. He's this gross sort of bald um, tentacle monster guy who starts shoving Paul's head in a toilet. Um, And it's a scene, this great little fight scene where Paul kills this monster and then he realizes that the little boy that was like, you know, scared of Paul was... That was like his father, or you know, yeah. a family member, and he was like, "You killed him." And the the kid appears normal. I think it's because there's a um a uh, a, a lay period, like a pre prepubescent period or something, where your body doesn't uh, adapt to the change. But yeah, um the the kid is is just like totally heartbroken because he grew up around these people and like that's like this is just his normal life and that sort of scene is so great in this movie because it's easy to cut but it adds everything that i love about this movie which is really cool special effects it has a really cool monster it adds moral complexity and it makes you feel kind of icky it's not like it's not like you want Paul to just get airdropped, you know, an M16 and to just take out all these fish people. Like it starts to make the movie a little bit stickier for you. Yeah. Um, and and D like it's just like a fun bit of color in the middle of the movie to show you that they are confident in their hand. It's it's sort of like there's a lot of monster effects movies that Stuart Gordon makes where in the middle of it you're just like This was probably mostly here to show off the special effects, but you found a purpose for it, which we'll get to with Reanimator. There's a few scenes in the middle where I'm like, (laughs) you kind of cut this, but also, like, it's a lean 90. You're good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I guess my only, like, problem is how heroic he is at times. Um, It's sort of the pleasure of this story template, which is one that Yusno uses a lot, um, is, like a character that doesn't realize how in over their head they are until they get to this giant cult ceremony at the end. Uh, Maybe like the end of the wicker man where he's like, Oh, I've just been like a plaything this whole time. Um, (laughs) Uh, I I think there's like a lack of imagination a little bit with how women fit into that. Like his girlfriend character, I assumed um, was going to be a major part of the twist where she had like lured him to this Island uh, and had been like, you know, almost exactly like in the wicker man had been like in on it the whole time. But instead she has this like victim, uh, trajectory where she's just another like sexual offering to this beast. Um, whereas like for a character like that, who's sort of kept off screen and like kept as like a mysterious presence the whole time. Uh, I just feel like that's like a lack of imagination. I I saw that a little bit in, um, from beyond as well. Like, barbara crampton's character is exposed to this machine that makes people into these like sex freaks and all she really does when she mutates is like model fetish gear um and doesn't really have her own like sexual id um this movie does skirt around it a little bit in the usha character is that how we pronounce her name usha um i think she—it's
0: only wrong when Peter. Says
1: okay, <laughs> I, I think she makes up for it a little bit just because she is one of the strongest, like, acting presences in the movie. She has these like yeah. really like intense Barbara Steele eyes, and she's dressed up like shetar from like Blood Diner towards the end. Um, <laughs> yeah, so she kind of saves cool. it a little bit, but the—I uh, don't know. There's something about like the whole idea of like Lovecraftian fiction to me that I really love and just seeing his influence in other people's work is that it opens up the world of possibility like as wide as your imagination can be um and it just kind of bums me out sometimes when these like 80s directors can only think of one thing to do with like the female characters which is like to make them like victims of sexual yeah. assault and i don't know I just it's very limited
0: yeah, it's it sucks, and it, it is a Stuart Gordon consistent problem, and and, and like you said, a, a problem with a lot of '80s uh, movie directors. And like, this is not again absolving them. I don't know how much it is. Like the funding they get is is contingent on having like some sort of like exploitative nudity in their movies, and how or how much it is just like, um, yeah, that's what the moviegoers want. That's what I make. I make uh, exploitation gross. Uh, gory nudity movies for people but like this this is a, a particularly like that the part of the only part of the movie i hated hated is like how much they dwell on a like horribly cut up uh naked person like uh dangling from that um that string like they, they it's terrible like i first of all like i i i don't know if it's a commentary on on like you you could almost make the case to me that it's a commentary on like exploitative nudity in movies because like who is that for if it's like to see naked people
1: it feels very much like a version of the 70s cannibal italo horrors that i don't particularly like watching um it's i don't know i really like the Yuzna movies that end in the the cult setting and they do like sexual assault in this really grotesque not titillating way like anyone who's turned on by the final act of like society is um reading it wrong or has something wrong with them.
0: <laughs> well, I guess I'll just leave that Brandon.
1: But uh in this case like you can see how like a 13-year-old boy would be looking at uh this for <laughs> sexual gratification the movie's playing into it in an uncomfortable way that yeah, feels like a 70s hangover that should have been long gone by yeah. the time this was made.
0: Dreams in the Witch House, like I liked when the nudity shifted to the witch. Um and as my wife was like, were those other nipples? Um, like that's a that's a cool like scene. But it, it does like lean into like, this is showtime and we're going to be seeing some nudity folks like when the when he has sex with the witch at the beginning. It's just it's pretty constant in his movies. Minus, I don't know, robot joke. <laughs> that would have been OK if I would have seen a naked robot. <laughs> it been pretty, pretty cool. I'm just uh, I been, robots being objectified. <laughs> I know. It's, it, well, and they're jocks. Um,
1: (laughs) i do think sexuality is like a legitimate way to unnerve people and and even in this film when usha's like okay here's the deal we are related and i still want to fuck you like i think that's a good use of like sexual discomfort in like a horrifying way Um, especially since he's kind of into it
0: yeah being attracted to someone who like Like, when he runs away from her tentacle legs before he even knows about the relation stuff, like, that's, like – that's a level of, like, uncomfortableness and, like, echoes, like, the Little Mermaid fairy tale type version of that that, you know, not present in the novel, obviously, and is really drawing on, like, that fairy tale culture of, like – Um, Oh, but this is someone you're attracted to. And, like, we find out she's a princess and all this other stuff. And, like, their dad's the the king. Uh, Maybe this is just a weird horror remake of the little... (laughs) Now that that I'm putting everything together. Uh,
2: Wait, hold on. Real quick. Brandon, do I only watch movies about incest with you
1: (laughs) i think so and i feel like i cover them on our podcast way more than i should it's a frequent topic um yeah not something i seek out
2: cat people movies we've watched (laughs) are specifically
0: about incest (laughs) I don't remember any insanity.
1: <laughs> uh, you weren't looking hard enough. Hard
0: enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's certainly weird, enough. You but... guys both watch a lot of incest movies and said that at the exact same time. That was
2: all appreciative. One of us.
0: Uh, I want to I wanna get back to uh, what you said about, like, the the protagonist kind of, like, being, like, weak and fighty for a long time. Um, because I actually really like in this movie that, like, he is, like, he is a wannabe action hero for so much of it. To the point of, like, I, I love the ending of this where it's like, I'm still fighting you. I'm still fighting you. Like, girlfriend gets thrown to, to fucking uh, Dagon. I'm still fighting you. Oh, uh, look at this. I'm going to blow it up. Like gets half of his face blown up is underwater finds out he has stomach gills and is like finally like you know what uh, fuck it I guess uh, guess guess I'm a fish monster like he fights it so long I'm a fish then,
3: yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm a monster <laughs> um, the fact that the fact that like he finally like that almost like underwater shrug when his fucking skin is torn off his face and he realizes he has stomach gills and he has not killed anyone that he wanted to and he's just like yeah alright let's go swim uh, swim down to Dagon I guess and the uh, try my best and the
1: best like um slapstick gag in the film is when he tries to do the action hero move of hot wiring a car and instead does what all of us would probably do in real life uh just makes the horn go off and show all the fish people where he's where he's at like (laughs) blows his cover that that part's great yeah yeah whenever he like shows his ass that's when i'm like into it but then there's other parts where i don't know i feel like he kind of gets away with being like um uh, this like heroic swashbuckling character um when i mean we really hate his guts after like two minutes of being on a boat with him at the f- front of the movie it's really that, hard that to recover opening
0: is like i don't i can't imagine a worse introduction to a character that you might i don't know if you're supposed to hate him right away but if so bravo Stuart gordon because like i've never hated someone more like i think the only thing that rivals it is the opening of another movie called triumph of the will did not care for that main <laughs> character right away either
1: <laughs> someone who tells his like girlfriend you're fucking yeah. crazy in the first like two minutes of a film um
0: and his voice too like it's not, it's not just what he says it's just like you're crazy we're rich like it's like shut the fuck i hope i hope you turn out to be a
2: fish <laughs> I hope it does you. turn out my it does like it, it, it does click in like some inner bro where i was just like have sex with your girlfriend.
1: <laughs> what is Stop wrong with you? Look at
2: your fucking stocks. <laughs> He's like, well, i haven't been better. See what
0: the Dow is doing today. This is terrible. No, not the blowjob. Oh. <laughs> go give me. Go keep giving me the blowjob. That's the fucking opening of this movie.
2: Yeah, oh, and, and you But like, you're you're supposed to find him loathsome, right? Like,
0: I'm not sure what the. So I like the the biggest improvement that I could make to this movie which would involve time travel, is, like, you're right. Like, all the slapstick stuff, I think he is super ineffective at being an action hero. And he is spending this entire movie, like, fucking running in this room and bouncing against this one. Like, this movie needed a Jeffrey Combs or a Bruce Campbell. Like that's could balance that, that level of slapstick, but also, like,
2: He'll he'll make a little turn, and it might only be like a fifteen degree turn, but he'll make a little turn. We're like, oh, we're supposed to be scared now, and it works.
0: Okay, got it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like it. I honestly believe that uh, if you had, if one of those two people, probably Jeffrey Combs, because it's a Stuart Gordon movie, played the part of Paul. I think this movie is like considered a horror master. Any because that. Sorry, what was that?
1: Oh, and he cast uh, the closest lookalike he could find in two thousand five too. Or two thousand
0: one. He did. I mean, he. Yeah, he. I mean, he absolutely did. He does look like Jeffrey Combs, but like Jeffrey Jeffrey Combs. Like, think about like Reanimator. Like, he is an asshole. Rich. Like, he's not rich, I guess, but he's like an asshole scientist who like you are supposed to go is like kind of hateable, but like he's hateable in this way that is so like I don't even know how to describe. It. I'm sure we'll talk. We're going to talk about it a lot at the Reanimator episode, but like almost like a like an animal who's like kind of like like i i it's it's if that energy had been in the movie as opposed to like whiny frat guy who's like both a rich and a an rich asshole to his girlfriend and like a stock dealer on his yacht with like a i don't know who his older friends uh like it's the worst but like jeffrey combs could have done it he could have pulled it off yeah
2: uh, i hope they would age up the girlfriend, because uh, otherwise they would create a whole new slew of problems. No, see, I
0: wanted to age down Jeffrey Combs. <laughs> I said through time travel. Peter, we're you not listening.
2: Replacing the lead would would gravely improve this movie. Um, now that I feel like when I was. Uh, When I watched this the first time, I was, like, a little disappointed in the lead, but, like, I was mostly just disappointed in, like, CGI and, like, silly silly stuff. Yeah. It's just, like, not really that important, ultimately. It's just, like, it's, like, gripes. It's, like, something you know is petty, but whatever. Um, Now, the CGI doesn't really bother me. I mean, I wish Dagon looked cooler. Um, Yeah. But the the rest of it is all fine i actually think a lot of the underwater stuff looks kind of cool uh, yeah but the uh but the, you can't with the cgi and shit you can't go back and replace uh, a lead actor unfortunately
1: <laughs> uh soon you can once the, the congress fully comes to be uh we're on the <laughs> verge of it
0: we are the version of the Congress. Uh, it'd be funny
2: uh, if we had a technology where we could replace them with uh, anybody you want as long as it's a cat version of them.
1: Yes.
0: <laughs> oh, we de- well, hold on, Peter. We definitely have that
3: technology. <laughs> I've fucking seen
0: it. <laughs> um, I think we are essentially out of time, and I think we've talked about most things for this movie. So, yeah, little bits or final thoughts. Let's go.
1: Uh, I just think it's funny that... Um, Only because this is, like, kind of aquatic horror, they threw in two, like throwaway jaws references that don't even make sense in the context of the scene like he he hits a fish person over the head and he's like i need a bigger cell phone um
0: (laughs) i I, see this guy's the worst it's
1: such a flimsy premise for a joke um but i kind of found how like thuddingly clunky it was amusing oh it's brazen um so i don't know that worked for me
2: love the lurching uh pale fish hordes i love all the gross noises they make because they pull from like reptiles and fish things and birds sometimes like they kind of did like a clunky version of what Steven Spielberg did with uh, Jurassic Park where uh, he was like, all right, I'm going to make, take reptile noises and like lay them over each other. And it's going to sound like something you've never heard before. And instead, said there were like, you're like, wait, was that, a, was that the noise? Like, uh, 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 uh my fucking pet bird makes, <laughs> <laughs> did it just make a caw noise? Um, uh, but I, 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 uh, I think that, like, if they had taken the same structure and tacked more budget on, like, this could be a legitimate classic. Um, yeah. and, and in a sense, it still is for me because I'm going to watch this movie every, like, five to ten years now. Like, it's, it's yeah. such a fun adaptation. It's of my favorite H.P. Lovecraft story. Uh, if you're going to re- read one of the long H.P. Lovecraft stories, make it Shadow of Rinsmith. Um Or the Colorado Space. Colorado Space is, is like, isn't or it, like, half the, half the length, yeah. though?
0: Yeah, Whisper in the Darkness is the same length, and I, I give the slight edge to Whisper in the Darkness. Yeah,
2: Colorado Space is, is amazing too, but yeah, this is the one that I feel like if you want to read one of the longer ones, you go there. Um, this is more representative. Yeah, but anyway, so I, I, I love the idea that it, they, it distracted me enough from the original source material's uh, obsession with miscegenation and race mixing that it, it actually like made me think about other things, like... What if you had a god who actually worked? Like you pray, and God coughs up some gold, and all of a sudden, like your children can eat again. Like I, I love the concept. Yeah, Dagon gets results. Yeah, and that's like that's that's a uh, this adaptation made me appreciate something about the original short story, which is like I think sometimes Lovecraft, while he's good at capturing the emotions of his his main protagonist he loses sight of like what human nature is on occasion and i love that this makes me appreciate the original story a little bit more because they yeah like if your family is starving you're gonna pray to whatever god is gonna bring you some fish and some gold so you can eat right like it's 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 human nature um and it makes all the, the the sort of um congress with these fish people all the more appealing uh and the fact that there's all these different characters in the movie that make it more appealing like the little kid whose father was murdered like the fact that he loved him like he was he was he wasn't just uh, stuck in some sort of craze like this was his father he grew up not thinking these 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 uh people were monstrous and so he, they're not monstrous um and uh same thing with uh Usha um how she you know she's she's beautiful and she's welcoming paul into her room and they have they seemingly have a fate together and that fate is fulfilled like that's it's not seen as a horrifying thing at the end it's almost seen as like a a reward um it's seen as a mixed i would say a mixed reward almost but um it's not seen as some pure horror moment where he embraces his destiny um yeah but i uh I just think that this movie is a great adaptation because even though it fails on some levels, um, it adapts the story and removes a lot of what I dislike about it, but it captures a lot of the tone and the atmosphere of what the original story is, which I don't think a lot of the adaptations manage to do, especially Stuart Gordon. Stuart Gordon's is usually like, I'm going to use this material as a jumping off point and then... Let's go. Like from Beyond, the tone of that is entirely different from the original work. But it's yeah, fun. Uh, it's so much more gloopy and goofy as an '80s movie. Um,
0: but that's kind of his thing. I am want to make it goofier and gorier yeah. and uh, add uh, characters. Uh, who are not just the main character <laughs> yeah exactly
2: um and reanimator is the tightest i think between you know the one-to-one in terms of tone but i think this one actually helps me appreciate the original tone of the work and and what you could gain by by adapting it a little bit um yeah. so and I, uh, my final note on this is actually there's a very similar movie that if you didn't like this movie but you loved like the setting or the feel of it the texture uh you should watch this movie called dark waters uh it's this european horror movie it's not the japanese movie or the american remake of the japanese movie uh this dark waters movie and it's this uh i think it might be on shutter right now as of august 1st 2019 um and it's uh it's about a some some convent uh It's about some nuns at a convent who get embroiled in in the occult and it's in this like European seaside sort of rocky, rocky uh, convent. And uh, I recommend that as well if you're you're kind of on this journey. I think this movie obviously fits the Lovecraft theme better, but someday I want to do Dark Waters on the show.
0: Uh, Yeah, you've definitely been recommending it to me uh, since you saw it uh, a couple years ago at Spooktober. Uh, and I think it's it's on my Spooktober list this year, so I'm I'm excited for that. I did see it was on Shutter or something. So my my final thoughts are: I, I don't feel like I have much more to say about either either the stories or the film adaptations. Uh, I just was pleasantly surprised that going back to both of these that um you know I I think in some ways it's just weird to realize how much you've changed. <laughs> I know that's not what this we haven't really talked about any of this, but for wrap up thoughts, sure, like uh. The recognition that, like, my memory from Dagon was not about how bad the actor is, was not about how great the practical effects were, it was, like, 30 seconds of bad CGI that I was frustrated with and, like, had stayed with me for 15 years and that was my memory of like dreams in a witch house a little bit too it's like that rat looks stupid um so maybe i need to go back to more things i was watching in 2005 that i thought was okay because i was just so surprised at how much i enjoyed both of these and how like the things i uh was so bothered by that like kept them down from like whatever four four and a half stars and kept them in the three star range like went away and then my i had different frustrations that feel like how did i not notice that in in 2005 so uh yeah these these were both really great to go back to um and that that only makes me more excited for the couple we have left in this month because it has been uh it has been a or uh, how many we have left in this double month because it has just been so much fun and I I already am, I already can tell even with a couple episodes to go uh I'm going to be a little bum when this when this double month is over these have, these adaptations have been so much fun to talk about and we've had some great guests and we will continue so Brandon thank you again for coming on our oh, show. Thank you for having me. Uh now that you're off of the bandbox, box hopefully you'll be back on very soon. We have a lot of time to make up for uh do you want to tell people where they can find more of you talking about movies
1: yeah um i run a film blog out of new orleans with a few of my friends um and we also have a podcast uh the blog is called swamp flicks um and the podcast is called the swamp flicks podcast uh so anywhere you you know uh subscribe to like podcast feeds you should be able to find it pretty easily um i've kind of reformatted the show recently too where there's only like three movies per episode where we used to like sort of sprawl out um so it's a little more um easy to digest now because uh, <laughs> we used to get like a little too overexcited with like big topics um recently we talked about killer gators and um fictional pornos in movies um so we're definitely like in a uh streak right now where we're like hitting our best selves um so it, never a better time to tune in to our um goofy little horror movie podcast i, I just said horror movie it, it, it's a uh, it's a little wider range than that but um if you like this show that you're listening to right now i think we have a similar sensibility and a similar um subject interest uh so you might like our other show as well
2: and I think if you like like uh, more like sticking around and doing like a deep dive on one individual thing like that's what our show is for but if you prefer something breezier and you're looking for like awesome recommendations or just like quick fun takes on uh, more movies uh, I think that I think that Brandon's show is like is a fucking great place to get it because like it's so hard to talk about. I, I, Maybe maybe I'm crazy and like I'm just flipping perspectives. But for me, it'd be so hard for me to satisfyingly sum up a movie as quickly as they do and as satisfyingly as they do. So I, I love Brandon's show um, and I love the fact that like. We exist in similar spaces, but not the same spaces. So, like the the time I've been on the show, I I, like got to like, oh, the the feel is all different.
0: Um,
1: Oh, thank you.
0: When there's a topic that like aligns with my interests, um, there's not many podcasts that I get this excited about. Just because, like. Uh, I can think of like the when you guys did the shack and Christian ev- evangelical uh, cinema, and then like uh, is there good torture porn? Like, uh, like just seeing those pop up on my feet are like, yes, <laughs> this is what I want to hear people talk about. Like it, it, and people that I love to listen to talk about. So, uh, you know, we they they um, now do they talk about movies? They have this uh, concept of doing these broader subjects and talk about more than just one, and that's that's really like. Uh, that's really appealing for me in a lot of different ways and not something that a lot of podcasts do. Uh, and the ones that do it uh, rarely do it as well as them. Uh, so yeah, like great podcast. Um, I'm glad 66% of the people on this uh, on this <laughs> recording have been on the podcast.
1: I will write that wrong by the end of the year. We need to have Aaron on.
0: Sure. It'd be a lot of fun, <laughs> but you know, it's, it sounds great. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, The actual themes you
2: guys pick are just so goddamn fun, especially like if you're into trash, if you're into like more criteria and respectable fare, like they kind of lace in through all of
1: that. And it's just it's it's a good time. Thank you all very much. It's very sweet.
0: We'll have links to it in the show notes, um, both to the podcast and to the website. So, uh, and I they, they have one of the best uh, end of the year wrap ups. I always look forward to as well. So, uh, and unlike our show, it's about the year that ended as opposed to a previous year. So, uh, but anyway. So next week, uh, surprise episode that Peter and I literally could not be more excited about. We are doing an something that we had talked about uh, covering, and then we're like, "Man, I don't, I don't know if we can squeeze in another one this month." Uh, a um, remake of From Beyond from 2013 called uh, Banshee Chapter that uh, that actually got pretty good reviews and. You know, I, we don't get a chance to do that many modern adaptations, like really, like, you know, five years ago adaptations of Lovecraft. From Beyond is one of my favorite Lovecraft stories, and we really love the adaptation. So this was exciting to do, but we just didn't know if we were going to be able to fit it in. And lo and behold, we had the opportunity to uh, have a guest on who had also wasn't on their radar, who is a huge Lovecraft fan, uh, Gary Butterfield of uh, uh, Duck Feed. Uh, who produces podcasts and, and is on podcasts like uh, Bonfire Side Chat uh, and Watch Out for Fireballs. And they actually just started uh, with his, with his uh, recording partner, Cole Ross, uh, a, a series on uh, Lovecraft adaptations as well called Unfilmable. So uh, he's going to be joining us to talk about Banshee Chapter. Next week, uh, Peter and I, I believe we're. Peter, how would you, would you say you're pretty excited? Uh, yeah,
2: I think I'm uh, nervous. <laughs>
0: i am yeah, nervous. I'll be too. excited once I get over that. I will be a little, I will definitely be a little nervous. So, for those of you guys that don't know, I, I'm, I'm gonna say it now so I don't say it to his face again as we were emailing uh, back and forth. But like the reason that Peter and I started this podcast was because of Gary Butterfield and Cole Ross, because we uh, we both were obsessed with Bloodborne, which is a Lovecraft inspired uh, video game. And we found their podcast that covered Bloodborne. And uh, we were both like, hey, these two people live on opposite sides of the country and their podcast sounds pretty good. Maybe we could do something like that. So uh, I'll we'll save all of the we wouldn't exist without you for the the episode is actually on. Because I'm sure that's embarrassing to gush, but we'll gush now that uh, this, yeah, this is really exciting. So, uh, so Banshee chapter, surprise episode, next week with guest Gary Butterfield from DuckFeed. Yeah, we are, we're uh, irrevocably pumped.
3: <laughs> yes.
0: So let's, next week, we are doing some more Stewie, Stewie G uh, and his pal Brian uh, Usna with a double feature. Uh in our last movies that we're covering this month, uh before we wrap up with a bloodborne episode that we've talked about, and those are Reanimator and Bride of Reanimator with returning guest Luana Saita.
2: Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh we are uh, saving one of the I think the most beloved Lovecraft adaptation uh for the end of the month and and I mean that in the sense the most beloved movie. Um, yeah, because a lot of people forget that it's a Lovecraft adaptation entirely. It's just one of those movies that people just fucking love, and it's so good. Yeah.
0: Yep. So we'll be covering Reanimator, Bride of Reanimator, and the two minutes in American Beauty where Kevin Spacey recommends Reanimator to his. Name. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, gonna, we are we're, not going to doing. We're guns. not going to. We're not going to cover that. We're not going to cover that part. Yeah, I'm not going to cover that. <laughs> fun fact, or not fun fact? Uh, that's, the, that's the first time I ever heard of Reanimator was from the movie American Beauty. Well, that's funny. I was way yeah. into
2: uh, to gloopy horror movies far before I was uh, even humoring these
0: uh, these Oscar movies. These well, was 1999. Peter, like, I was 16. You were, I don't know. No, were you born?
2: 1999?
0: <laughs> it would have been yeah. an, uh, eight. Okay, so American Beauty, not quite up your alley. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 1999. Got it. Uh, all right, well, uh, Brandon, thank you again for coming on. Uh, we will see you next week With some more Goopy Lovecraft horror stuff <laughs> Bye fly, everybody Mwah. Mwah. Mwah.